the scoreline when you looked at it like looks like a hammering. And it was a hammering though. They scored 28 points in about three minutes, and we couldn't stop them. You know, okay, so it was a hammering. But there's, there's different levels of hammerings here. OTB AM, live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It's half past seven. You're welcome along to Friday's OTB AM. It's Owen and Dan MacDonald of the Irish Independent with you until 10 o'clock this morning. We've got a crappy quiz coming your way as we always do on a Friday. We've got quick picks as we always do on a Friday and then we're going to be looking ahead to some of the weekend sports. We're going to have Gordon Darcy and Neve Briggs with us to look ahead to the second test in New Zealand and Carl McCaig will be back on the show to look ahead to Derry against Galway in particular tomorrow. We'll also chat a little bit about Kerry and Dublin with him as well. Uh, Dan, how are you getting on? I'm good on. Last night you were kind of devouring what is your favourite time of the football calendar? Oh listen, uh, obscure European ties is where it's at. Like this is the this is like niche football interest slash also like really, really important games of football as well. Sort of like there's a, you know, there's it's a it, it is sort of an unusual time of the year where you you have like you know, teams in season, teams out of season playing like, you know, often like the, the earlier rounds of these qualifying competitions in the, in the Champions League earlier this week you'd have more recognised teams I suppose playing in that you know the likes of Ludo Goretz who Shamrock Rovers would, would likely play next who were like group stage regulars in the Champions League and a few other big teams like that Carabag and, and a few others whereas you had the Conference League last night which is a little bit of a I don't know, it's sort of a cocktail of, of various clubs from around the place. Yeah, and saying that, like they're playing for, you know, three hundred and fifty grand to the winners of each tie, mm. which, you know, in some cases is is absolutely, you know, extraordinary amounts of money. So they're incredibly meaningful games. So like you had two Irish clubs involved last night, um and, and a couple of the Northern Irish sides as well. Um like, you know, for example, I watched Sligo Rovers play on the stream uh, against Ballatown from Wales. Um, it was an absolutely mad game. Like it was, just, it was an insane game. Like it was um, played on an artificial pitch, so it was like obviously a bouncy hockey pitch that um, in a place called Oswestry, where I've actually been a couple of times, um, which Bose fans remember as the place where their first incarnation of the club died, losing a Champions League game four 0 around twelve, thirteen years ago. Horrible pitch, but there was a massive Sligo contingent over. And like these games really, really matter, you know, and like they were probably a bit nervous. They won two one, they should probably get through next week, you know, at home and on a sort of a better surface and play Motherwell in the next round and that'll open doors. But it is a weird sort of uh sort of counterculture movement of like yeah. the football wing or these early games. Like there was this team playing last night in uh Gibraltar, a team called Bruno's Magpies, and like you know, you, you, like you scroll through live score, people will uh, you'll sort of do a live score scan maybe, and you see sort of various teams you recognise and names you recognise. You look at the team, oh, that's maybe a Polish team, or that's a you know that's a sort of a Latvian team. Just probably trying to guess off the names, and then you sort of see Bruno's Magpies <laughs> pop up, and like, where, where the hell are like it sounds like a team in a darts league or something, you know? Um, and they're playing in the Europa Conference League. And they're playing against Crusaders from uh, Northern Ireland, and they won two one in their first leg game. Nice. So, but there is a great boy, story behind this. Actually, it was Rory Houston and RTE did a feature on these guys, which was a really, really good piece because they just they jump off the page and thinking, well, who are Bruno's Magpies? So, the story behind this team is that ten years ago there was this eighteen year old footballer who had moved. 
um, from England to Gibraltar with his parents and he was struggling to get uh, picked up by a couple of teams in Gibraltar at the time Gibraltar I don't think were in UEFA so there was a local league in Gibraltar which was like you know your equivalent of I suppose your I don't know your Sunday league or whatever you know your, your sort of Leinster senior or uh, your sort of national equivalent of it and he couldn't get a he couldn't get a game so uh, he eventually decided that like the only option available to him was to set up his own team of course so he went into I mean what else do you do in Gibraltar um, you set up your own team so um, Bruno's was a nightclub Bruno's Bar and Restaurant yeah Bruno's yeah. Bar and Restaurant is a nightclub I'm and reading, restaurant. I'm reading you're reading, yeah, you're reading as you go on you see <laughs> I was trying to like educate you and you're just going to read it I don't even have it in front uh, of me now keen. but long story short Bruno's is a, a bar and the Magpies is purely because uh, he met this coach called Mike who like knew his football stuff I think his name was Mike who was a Newcastle fan and his condition of coming on board to this team was that they had to have Magpies in the name so it was Bruno's Nightclub Magpies Mike whatever his name is and they created this team called Bruno's Magpies and they were just a team that just had a kick about of a game but then Gibraltar all of a sudden got membership to UEFA that all of a sudden they were like in the second division locally but suddenly the second division in Gibraltar became one division off the top flight and the opportunity to qualify for Europe and they've steadily over the last decade I think he paid something like a grand to set it up initially this team mm. but they've steadily become more and more serious to the point now where uh, they have uh, quite a few professional players playing for them in addition to some locals who are a bit like the Gibraltar national team when Ireland played them that time I was over for that mad trip when everything was going on with Delaney um, but like their, their local team I think like several of the, the Gibraltar team are like uh, border officers because obviously the border with Spain is so close so they, they work on the sort of border guards and they play international football but similarly the top level team there you know top level teams there a lot of the lads are, are from that sort of profile so Bruno's Magpies are now playing European football and beating uh, a team from Northern Ireland last night I think it's still bad for your morale if you find out you've lost like imagine Crusaders you qualify for European football and you're ready for these excuses that come out for teams well you know you just can't compete with the resources of this team yeah. you know you you know, you know lose to a team that's like oh, Ludogorets or something yeah, oh, yeah. oh you know football in Bulgaria it's different if you lose to Bruno's Magpies <laughs> It's, it, it's difficult to come forward and say that, that there's a long-term infrastructural, social, you know, reasons why, like, you know, you're losing to this team. To be fair, Magpies are not a pub team. They're a bar and restaurant team. Yeah, fair, so <laughs> yeah. It's, they're a little it's, a more, it's a more nuance. Like, you know, they're a gastropub team. They are that, that, that could be the new, the new <laughs> slang. It's like, this is only a gastropub league, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's, that's the magic of Europe. 25 yeah. points behind Lincoln Red Imps there in the Gibraltarian is that a word? Uh, championship. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but they are in the championship race. A couple of uh, the other clubs, uh, more in the relegation battle at the moment in Gibraltar. Manchester 62, College 1975 and Lynx. Um, there's uh, some great names. For, yeah, it's like sort of uh, fantasy football names and some, to some, really to, is. some version of that. Or like the, when I was in UCD, the, the Super League in UCD, which is like the 11-a-side league where uh, people would like enter team names, most of which would get you cancelled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so uh, this is like I mean this is your your dreamland at the moment uh, Bruno's Magpies keep an eye on them they're playing the second like next Thursday at 8 o'clock yes. and they're uh, away sorry so they're going to travel to, to, to Northern Ireland to, to play Crusaders next Thursday 2-1 up uh, is their lead in that one uh, we just want to mention quickly kind of your viewing experience so far of the Euros as well I mean Northern Ireland got their goal in the competition last night it was obviously they did yeah yeah. I, I did switch like I was, I was watching the Sligo Rovers and Derry games sort of back to back last night so I didn't really see too much I had sort of the Norway Northern Ireland game on at the back I sort of switched on there was a a hearty rendition of God Save the Queen from the Northern Ireland side which is I still like I still find that a bit odd <laughs> you know like it's sort of it's obviously one of the issues they have sometimes with uh, the you know men's and women's teams the inclusivity for communities of the anthem I still find it quite hard to get my head around sometimes but anyway that's a that's a bye to buy um, and they were 3-0 down after 15 minutes and, and I think they got a respectable respectable 4-1 defeat in the end and I saw some of the coverage after and it's very much well you know they got their goal and you know it's great for them and it is like their qualification story is tremendous like because uh, of quite a few of the teams a few of the players on the team would probably have a you know a Gibraltar international style profile in the sense of you know they're working on all sorts of jobs like I think you know I think it was being highlighted like one or two of their players were sort of working on the front line as such you know during the pandemic um, and then they were also managed to qualify for the Euros on the side which is amazing now part of me though I have to admit though with this Euros I would, make, I would find that particularly frustrating from the perspective of uh, the Republic of Ireland team um, that I felt that the last Women's World Cup, when that was on TV here, that was, I think that was a really accessible event. A lot of people yeah. got into it. And there's almost a sense of, well, this is the level you have to aspire towards, you know. And I know with confederational qualifying, you'll have teams, say, from other confederations, which would be pretty weak, right? But that's, you can say that about the, the Men's World Cup as well, too, right? You'll see teams that Ireland are better than in it. You, you can't qualify against them, um, but I would I would have thought with the Euros, and I see a lot of the like Louise Quinn is doing a column for our, our newspaper, and, and you see a lot of the the various Irish players are doing some of the punditry in RTE. But it has to be madly frustrating for them, although you would never possibly say it. It's diplomatically you have to be careful about saying it that you see Northern Ireland participating in it, and there's no doubt that that our players play at a better level. Mm. To, you know, the, the majority of them play at a better level. Um, and it would have been and, obviously in Ireland and it would have been uh, yeah, playoff had they yeah. qualified ahead of Ukraine right yeah and like this tournament's over in England so can you imagine what an opportunity it would have been you know how we probably would have been in the midst of it now and how accessible it would yeah. have been and I don't know as a result I, I part of me is just a bit like oh god what a, what a missed opportunity that is and maybe maybe you should step back and buy into the story of Northern Ireland and all and like Ireland had their chance they they blew it unfortunately like you know it was very much there for them and it didn't happen but it just when you're watching a tournament with teams that you know that Ireland are by their ba- on the base of their performances since that they're better than quite a few of these European teams that are in it and they're not there I don't know I, I'd find it hard to actually engage with it to some degree because you're thinking this is this could have been something completely different, especially with the the parallel universe of the World Cup qualifiers happening at the moment, getting a result against Sweden, getting uh, three points against Finland. Yeah. Uh, teams that they should be there, yeah. you know, they should be yeah, there should really. Be. And and uh, watching all the other teams play, um, I don't know. You say it's motivational, and it possibly is, but like it's a tournament in England, like that's mm. that would have been amazing. Yeah, and that won't happen again for no. some time, even if they qualify for the next Euros. Uh, just one other, um, a couple of other things actually we want to touch on this morning. We might get to the tennis and the golf in just a moment. Just on 
the GEA this weekend. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot made of the promotion around games at the moment. Uh, Bernard Brogan was on Twitter yesterday talking about the fact that there has not really been a whole pile said uh, in the build-up to, to Kerry against Dublin. There's been nothing said with regards to within the camps. Uh, is that the case? Is that absolutely the case? Yeah, there's been nothing... Well, I, I know that Kerry declined to do media, that there was mm. that there was communication sent out to, to local journalists and they said we, we won't be doing media before the All-Ireland semi-final. I'm not sure did Dublin make that sense of communication or did they just say nothing? Uh, either way, there hasn't been uh, any, any real official media done before the semi-finals. We're seeing that maybe ticket sales aren't what you might expect for a Kerry Dublin semi-final. Like Paddy Andrews in the football pod earlier this week was saying that the 2013 game was the the loudest he'd ever felt. Croke Park, the the stadium was shaking, physically shaking. There's going to be, I think, maybe seventy thousand people there on Sunday. It's still a good uh, turnout, and maybe more. Maybe it will go closer to, to eighty as the weekend progresses, but. I would suspect a few years ago these tickets would have would have sold out and there are a whole pile of other factors at, at play here obviously with the cost of living and all that yeah. and there are, there are the kind of uh, when, when you look at situations like the hurling for example last week only 40,000 and 52,000 people showing up for the, for the hurling semi-finals which was a, a poor turnout I think it points to kind of like a, a wider malaise in terms of attendances but that promotional point is, is there something in that is, is there something in that, that idea that if your papers had uh, kind of wall-to-wall coverage of, of, of quotes from managers and players this week, as boring as they would inevitably be, would it essentially create more interest in, in this weekend's games? Yeah. I mean, it's. I saw Bernard Bogner had those tweets yesterday. I think there's always a danger that, see, like two media people having a discussion about it can almost seem sort of self-serving in the sense yeah, of like, of oh, wouldn't it be great if they did more? And, and like the... the large swathes of the public are never going to agree with you in that because they'd be like well typical of me well, like, what do you want like you know of, cor- of course and this this line of you know well you know they're amateur players and so on um, you know they shouldn't have to do it I mean we do know that like there's there's obviously you know there'd be elite inter-county players who enjoy various statuses in their life on account of their inter-county status right I don't think like the, the odd interview is going to be a massive imposition although I know there's obviously an argument that maybe I, I saw that I see Paul Flynn getting involved and talking about maybe some degree of like you know should players be compensated for doing some of this thing I I don't know like it's a like as someone who probably is very much casual in terms of how I sort of dip into the GEA and stuff I kind of wonder like in one in one sense, it never seemed to matter because the games were always sellouts. And now, if you're getting to the stage now, where you're telling me that for whatever reason the, the, the take up has been slightly slower. I know there's this whole debate about the scheduling of the season, and and maybe yeah. there's, there's less time for like storylines to develop across the summer too. Like if if uh, if our man Galway had played together the following week, you know, after what what had happened in that game, like would there have been sort of more interest? Because like, okay, we know some more of these characters now. To me, some of the even characters in involved in that spat you're like who are these people mm. like what is the story although I hear that Derry apparently are quite good have been reasonably good in terms of their their press interactions compared to others but I I, I do find it a little bit of, a, of an oddity to the sense that there seems to be a, a complete paranoia around it and I don't know is, is it just become a cultural thing whereby you're just convinced well no one else is doing it so we shouldn't do it we can't give the team some kind of edge because these games are like there's such a build up around one or two particular games a year and you can't leave anything to chance Yeah. whereas if it was a league type season where you were playing every week does it become less of a you know less of a sort of a threat but it's very hard like I, I like well, what's your perspective on it? Like, as someone who's sort of more into, do you feel like your 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 interest or your 
uh, engagement is different because you hear less from the people involved? Not, not really, to be honest. I think that if, if you're big into it, you'll find the coverage. I mean, there's like, I mean, I was like really, really enjoyed listening to James and Paddy on the football pod this yeah. week. Like spending, I think they spent an hour previewing Kerry Dublin this week. And like, that's the sort of stuff that you want to hear on game week really the, the soundbites from managers and players are as I said inevitably going to be boring and dull but the thing is when you have a press day like that as you know yourself they do tend to get you know placed on the front page or the back page like you look at the Andy Farrell quotes that are leading yeah. the way in most of the papers this morning they're not exactly box office but it is the head coach of uh, of a team playing in a significant sporting event this weekend so it's going to go close to your lead so I suspect yeah. that would have been the same thing you would have had a back page ad for the weekend's games had Desi Farrell or Jack O'Connor done a, a press uh, briefing this week and to be honest with you before the Mayo game the fact that Jack O'Connor did that really awkward um, press conversation he had that conver- awkward conversation with, with Tim Moynihan where he really just wouldn't come in on whether Clifford was available or not like th- those are kind of actually the, the crapness of the interviews is sometimes part of the culture yeah. of GEA the Yerry Yerry stuff when it comes uh, to Kerry they're just there yeah and like it, it, it is it does add texture to the week I'm not sure that would it sell any more tickets but it is part of our enjoyment like hearing what these managers have to say hearing what the players have to say even if it's dull if you're if you love that county or if you love that team you're probably going to read every single word of it anyway. yeah yeah uh, just just because it's David Clifford saying the, the boring stuff as opposed to somebody that you're not familiar with I think you tend to read it and I think it's more to do with like uh, a fan's relationship with a team it just adds a bit more of a, a different dimension to things like I do think that the more significant thing over the last little while um, for ticket sales has just been the, the compressed nature of the season compounded by the cost of living and I think uh, like people have made the point that you're now trying to go to three championship games on one paycheck for example if, you, if your team is playing three championship games in a month yeah, no, as that's... opposed to like once a month as it would be a few years ago and the outcome of that is fewer people showing up to games potentially fewer um, fewer euros going into the GEA coffers and that's why I think the outcome of this will be that in the next couple of years this idea of a split season won't be as dramatic that championship and All-Ireland finals will probably go back to being taking place in August yeah. and what they will say is that players have gone abroad players have gone to America after getting knocked out of the championship and counties aren't playing their county championships anyway so they, they may as well just have the inter-county championship go till the end of the summer so I, I, I think that's what, what the, the result of this will be I think this could, could actually be uh, the first and one of the last seasons where we have a, a July All-Ireland Yeah I think that I think that's inevitable to me of, again sort of looking from the outside I do find the scheduling a bit odd I feel like I should make some kind of joke here but like I mean, the Kerry fans aren't travelling because you're well, exactly, this is the, yeah. this is the, the this, standard thing isn't I mean, it I can't believe you yeah, haven't done it already Yeah well I mean I just want to get my quota in of like you know <laughs> something about Kerry this or that or whatever but I, I, in some ways, though, I think like I think what you say is is true. Like like sometimes in the media, then people will go, "Well, they never say anything in these interviews anyway." And there's like this sort of sniffy tone to it. Well, you know, they say nothing. But you know, some people do like to read that stuff. People forget, as you said, sometimes the like you might think that everyone wants to read the big one-on-one sit down, but sometimes people just like to hear. They just want to hear the, their the hero people talk. from there say something. And like yeah. there is actually always a room for that. But I also think as well the news cycle now is a lot more immediate as well in the sense that it's actually hard to do a long build up to a game with lots of different voices from the camp 
across the week. I think people sort of, like, I think, I assume this is coming from the point that there have been days this week, there's probably been news bulletins where there's been nothing on these games. Yeah, but, like, you what know, do you, I would say the majority of them, because what do you say? Like, I mean, I, I presume it's it, the, the, the way it's always been is that you have, you know, fresh audio from one of the camps. And, it's, it's been saved and it's yeah. been, like, it's been done in a group thing and, and, it's, and it's sort of piecemealed out across the week. And, like, I've been part of those around, say, Ireland Internationals, we have a player for this day and a player for that day and a player for the other day. But mm. I also think it's like the, when the games themselves are still attracting pretty significant attendances, even if they're not quite where they where they were. Like you'd assume, that, you know, it might well be the case that like even the buzz of the weekend and the atmosphere around the city will mean presumably, you know, a few more. Uh, it will, you know, come come closer to Sunday, it will happen, and, and they, seem, they seem to think to be a good crowd tomorrow with the Talton Cup game as well too. Yeah, but. The uh, I don't know. I think the cycle of everything. And this is just my own experience in in, me, in sports media. It's a bit of a different point. There used to be like a big build up to say Ireland games and a big fallout afterwards, but it just seems to be a lot shorter because I think people tend to move on to the next thing right. very quickly. You know, like next week you'll have the Open, say in, in golf or something, and you'll have a Dublin Kerry fallout or the All Ireland fallout. But people just tend to like dwell on stuff a lot less now than they used to that's just my yeah. my my opinion of it from sort of working in a paper every day and the news list and how it happens things don't seem to have as protracted a build up and then afterwards people move on from it fairly quickly and maybe there was an old school way of you would have interviews all the way through the week from from the various protagonists for the camps but now it just seems to creep up on people a bit more and yeah, I do think that the players should be less you know the, the, the culture of the, the management camp should be less sort of inclined towards suspicion and paranoia but they have maybe their two three big games where they just feel like oh this could be the one percent that mm. kills us here I'll say something daft and they should be it should come from the top where teams are compelled to at least just do some sort of briefing before each game just get it out of the way they like, will do it for the yeah. final like I assume they will do it for the final because like I know Kilkenny have already got, got their media day done and, and you'll, you'll probably have heard more of Brian Cody this week than you'll have heard of Jack O'Connor or Desi Farrell which is a little bit mad yeah. even though that game is is next week but that's just the way it is and I can see it from their perspective too if you're not compelled to do it why would you do it it is not their responsibility to be promoting the games it is their responsibility to win the game and unfortunately they feel that there is a connection between the information you put out there and your chances of winning the game especially with the the two big fitness doubts that have been just the, the topic of WhatsApp rumour for, for weeks and weeks well, now that's another weird cultural like, thing as well but yeah. like you have to have a real tight knit camp to be able to sustain this mystery mm. of like someone has a hairline fracture but what what part of the body might this be in if yeah. this is the case <laughs> if, if there is a hairline if there fracture is, if there is even one at all yeah. and um, I do find that a little bit mystifying but it's yeah. in some ways it speaks to the tightness that they can maintain it yeah, yeah. absolutely it is at 7.52 you're with us here on OTBAM let's just tell you what's coming up over the next little while Carl McCaig is on standby we'll get to him in just a second Neve Briggs and Gordon Darcy will be with us after 8 o'clock to look ahead to this second test of Ireland's Tour to New Zealand the sports page is coming your way at 8.35 and then our GEA quick picks looking ahead to the three games this weekend at 10 to 9 the crappy quiz at 10 past 9 and then Thursday Night Football with John Giles is being played out at half past nine. ODBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And Carl McCaig, Derry footballer, is with us on the line. Carl, you're welcome back to the show. How are you getting on? Not too bad. Good morning, lads. In terms of hype, we've just been chatting about maybe a bit of a, a muted build-up, certainly from the camps when it comes to Kerry and Dublin. I presume the hype has gone to a whole other level post the Clare game in Derry. Oh, definitely. You know, anywhere you drive through in Derry at the moment, you see the red and white button everywhere. 
You see kids running about with their dairy tops on. Um, I know I've just read a lot of things on Twitter about this whole sort of, you know, low-key build-up to learn semi-finals. It certainly doesn't feel that way up here, but I sort of get the lads' point too that the media side of things has maybe been shut down a wee bit. But up in Derry here, we're very much looking forward to it, and everyone's very excited. I found that Derry have been really open this year. Like, I mean, even just chatting to to your brother in the aftermath of the Ulster final. Like, I mean, just there's real honesty from some of the stuff he says. The same kind of goes for Rory Gallagher. Like, even like, I mean, he he is the intercounty manager that's been most visible this week when it comes to quotes. Rory Gallagher. That there doesn't seem to be this paranoia yet anyway in Derry no definitely not and to be fair to Rory you know he's saying things in interviews that he would say within the team meetings he's been completely up front I think that just comes from a, a big confidence he has in his playing group so he's not afraid to go out there and maybe put a wee bit of extra bit of pressure on his players by calling it as he sees it you were pretty bullish with us on the show last time you were on before the Clare game you were right to be so because they absolutely hammered them uh, was there anything about that performance at all that surprised you or did you see anything new that day um no, not really. I didn't think Derry maybe would have went as offensive in terms of pressing the kick out with you know nearly every man forward. But at the same time, I expected to be a comfortable enough one. They expected to be five goals, no, but I did think maybe two or three. Um, so you know, overall wasn't surprised by it, and I think Derry actually have a wee bit more on them. Even you know they scored five goals. So that offensive press wasn't something that we saw in the Ulster Championship. This was a new development when they came up against Clare. Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely, and I think you know Rory obviously planned before the game he's seen that there's probably a, an area that you could be targeted with with Clare with Donegal obviously with Sean Pat and the Nets you can get caught over the top with that aggressive press so he probably studied the, the Clare defence and goalkeeper and thought there's a chance to really go to town and maybe get a bit of early pressure on it seems that they've kind of gone into that situation of being Ulster champions and wearing that crown pretty lightly then. It wasn't anything that bogged them down. It was like, right, we've got our tails up here. We are the best in Ulster coming into to, uh, to a team against a Munster team and just feeling that confidence and feeling that kind of good sense of arrogance that they can go and kill them. Like that, that says, That's what, it's, what it says to me about that tactical approach in the quarterfinal. Definitely, and you know, Rory has everybody at the minute completely backing themselves. So there's an ultimate confidence in what they were doing for that game. Yes, it was probably leaving a wee bit more space at the back than they have maybe against Donegal or, or Mon on their throne. But at the same time, they went in for the kill. The press led to a few goals, and that more or less killed the game very early. Do you speak to Chrissy in weeks like this? Do you have conversations? Do you try and avoid each other, or, or how does that work? Oh, probably nothing different than the usual week um, you know I wouldn't be sort of asking what's going on on camp I just don't think that's probably my business at the minute but at the same time you have a fair idea how things are going you get good vibes from that, that things are going well and training that they're well prepared and I definitely expect them to, to be very competitive with Galway I don't think it'll be much in it either way but I think they're in a good place going into it Who do you think he's going to mark on Saturday? Um, don't know you know Shane Walsh tends to play quite far out I uh, don't know if that's something you know, that would maybe sit Christopher as well. He, he tends to be the closest man to goal most of this, this year. So that leaves your pick between probably Comer and Finnerty. Both of them are playing pretty well. So regardless of who's on, I think he's in for a, a tough enough day. Could he mark Walsh? Like I, I, I get the point absolutely that he he always marks the guy closest to goal. But it, it, does his man-marking style allow him to, to kind of take on a player who will drop into those deep pockets and into those pockets probably closer to the sideline at times? Probably, you know, to be fair, like he's played a lot of his underground career in the half back lines or half back, even a few games at midfield. So he'll be comfortable out the pitch, be comfortable sort of close to the 21 13. So I think, regardless of what job he's given, he'll be happy enough to, to do it. 
When it comes to some of those dairy forwards, I think that the fashion in which they dismantled Clare was was pretty interesting. And I guess you could touch on it there. You were a little bit surprised by the, the, the five goals yourself. Like Shane McGuigan's performance was unreal. Like he's been brilliant for the last couple of years for for Derry ever since since he's kind of broken through. And I'm not sure that people kind of appreciate just how good he was until that quarter final. I know people in Derry probably knew for, for a long, long time. So what's been your experience of him up close in training and, and some of the things that you've seen him do over the last, I guess, few years? Uh, he's, he's definitely brought his game to a different level. Like Shane would have broke onto her club team as a minor in 2015. Um, I think his debut might have been an Ulster club game against Scottsdale, which we lost, but he came on and scored a few points. He, uh, he's a brilliant player. He's brought his physicality to a new level. You know, he's one of the fittest and strongest strongest players on the panel at this point in time, but the amount of work he puts in behind the scenes is unbelievable. You know, you always see him in the gym, whether it be stretching or S and C work, hydrating well, he just takes ultimate care of his body. He just wants to be a top level under county footballer. Um, like at the moment he's without doubt there he's best forward and probably one of the best forwards in the country, but still that won't be enough for him. He'll he'll want to kick on to that next level, probably up to where Conal Gall and David Clifford are. And I think he's definitely capable of getting to that point. Is that something that a player like him thinks about and talks about and kind of has that level in his head where those names get mentioned where he can say to himself I want to be as good as a Clifford or as an O'Callaghan? He probably wouldn't outwardly say it but you know just from his self-confidence and how much he puts into it he more more than expects himself to get to that level um, and as I say you're starting to see it now I think it was 1-8 the last game he probably could have finished with maybe 2-12 you know he had a few wides he had in the first half and even a goal chance in the second half um, so he's playing unbelievably well. There's more in him. Derry are going to need it on, on Saturday or on Saturday if they are to win. Um, but I definitely expect him to have a big game. What's your take on that then? How far is he off that level off, off the two lads? Uh, I suppose it's maybe a wee bit hard to compare because Derry haven't been playing Division 1. To be fair to Kerry and Dublin, they've been doing it year in, year out, Championship and, and League with, within Division 1 as well. So... You know, I think when he's playing at that level, you see him up against the Patrons and the, the, the Donegals and the Dublins and carries each year in Mayo's that he can actually perform against them big teams and I think he's just waiting for that opportunity. Have you gone up against him in training? Oh, I many's the time. Um, definitely was a lot easier mark back around 2015-16 when he broke <laughs> onto the squad. Nowadays, he's a different animal. You nearly need two or three men to say you try and keep him under, under wraps, but he's, he's a nightmare to mark in training. What can you do to stop him? Well, probably like anything and in, in, uh, you know, any big player in the inter-county game at the moment, you have to have a good defensive structure around you and then you have to be on your game yourself. So you're never going to mark him one-on-one inside 50 yards because once he gets in the ball, it's ball in the hand. You're, you're, just, you're, you're going to concede a point or a goal. So it's more about trying to get the setup right around you, trying to get the double-ups and you know, trying to limit him just to sort of peripheral sort of positions and where he has to go back out the pitch as opposed to running at you. You talk about his physical transformation over the last few years. That seems to have been a common enough thread under Rory Gallagher, certainly post-COVID. Can you take us back to the moment that started and, and the moment that became a, a real focus for this team, the, the physical aspect? I probably, um, I was really honed in on, I think, whenever we lost to Armagh up in Celtic Park. Um, like, you know, Armagh were very physically developed at that point in time. You can see the work that Kieran McGinney had done with them. You know, Derry were definitely flagging behind in that in that avenue, and I suppose you know, you know, being good physically is not going to guarantee winning anything. But you're definitely not going to win anything without that. So I think you know, to get to that next point in time, there had to be a, a serious amount of work done. You know, you're talking about coming to S and C probably three, four times a week over the space of maybe eighteen months to really bridge that gap. 
And to be fair to Derry and Peter Hughes, the SSE coach, they've done that. They've bridged that gap now. Uh, and I think that gives them a chance then to use their football to try and you know, get to that very top level. That Derry Armagh match, am I right to say that's the game in 2020 where you lose by two points? Mm-hmm. So like, it wasn't necessarily you were getting blown out of the water. You just kind of come up against a team that had, I guess just got promoted to Division 1 and there was a slight enough margin but it feels that the improvement has been not slight it's been a significant improvement as a result of, of that SNC programme Definitely and to be fair you know from a football point of view as well Derry have, have, uh, have went to the next level you know that night I thought two points may have been a wee bit flattering to Derry I thought Armagh were probably the better team for you know the vast majority of that game and you know, Rory would say it himself, he wasn't happy about how that performance was. He didn't even expect maybe to win. I think he said that's the first time with any team he ever said that. So there has been untold improvements both in physicality and, and, and football and ability over that sort of time frame from 2020. Um, and that's there to be seen now because they aren't only just competing with teams, they're actually beating them. So look, what specifically changed then? What, what was different about the programme that was brought in after 2020? With regards to S&C? Yeah. Yeah, so I suppose it's, you know, just maybe your two times a week that you were doing maybe unsupervised until then when Peter came in, there was a lot of collective sessions. If you want to do even more sessions at your own home gym or club gym, Peter could facilitate that. Two or three years could go up to the one gym and he'll take you for an extra session. So probably you're, you're talking about four, sometimes five uh, sessions per week of S&C over that period of time. So obviously that's going to make a huge change to your body. Yeah, for sure. When did you start seeing the results of it? Um... You know, it probably just wasn't immediate. It's not only about you know trying to bulk up and get a wee mm. bit of size on. It's your fitness scores is what you can you know, perform in the power test. And Peter's very diligent with all that. He has all the, the proper gadgets in to measure that. And you can just see over a period of time that the numbers were going up. Lads were taking confidence from it. And ultimately then I think that feeds into your playing performance because if you're confident in your body, you'll start being able to do more in the pitch with your skills. And it feels like it's almost been... Uh, not a happy coincidence. It's actually probably been meticulously planned out. It feels that it... it fits in perfectly with the Rory Gallagher style of play and this Derry identity that even earlier in the year when I was watching some of your league games like the the, the counter-attacking pace was blistering and you were just thinking God when this actually gets to the summer Derry could be unstoppable like that was a very optimistic point of view but it certainly has manifested that way and that style of play wouldn't be possible if that hard work in the, the gym wasn't done over the last couple of winters. Definitely not. And I suppose you still have to have the raw athleticism of players there, like likes of Gareth McKinless and Connor Glass and, you know, Bren Rogers. These lads are unbelievable athletes in the very top percentile in the country, you know, capable of doing it with any other player. So you have to have that sort of raw player to work with. But I say the fact that, that Peter's put so much work into them and obviously Rory with the coaching, it's all sort of coming together at the right time. And they're definitely very well suited to the firm side of Crook Park. Can I ask you uh, about another specific forward for Derry? I kind of got to mention Benny Heron. I mean, the Benny Heron, the GOAT uh, page on Twitter has uh, garnered a lot of attention. Jay from the Inbetweeners uh, sending a a good look Benny cameo during the week. 230,000 views and counting on Twitter at the moment. I mean, you're surely not going to disagree with that, that he is the greatest of all time, Carl. (laughs) No, definitely not. Um, To be fair to Benny, he's been about a long time. He keeps plugging away year after year. Um, he's been an unbelievable servant to his club, club balance screen um, but to be fair this year he's, he's found a new level I think that's probably just the extra work that, that Rory has maybe brought onto him um, what Benny will offer the team is complete you know unselfish play you see him the first man sprinting back to offer up that first line of their defence but at the same time now he's, he's getting them, them chances for goal he's panning them nearly every single time 
you know, he's been remarkable this year. He has to be probably in a, in a run for an all-star at this point. Um, and to be fair, it's good to see for Benny because he's a huge work ethic. He puts a lot of, uh, of work into his game. And now at the age of maybe 31, he's, he's only getting his rewards. So fair play to him. Does he know that this page exists? Oh, I'm sure he's been made well aware of it. Um, I don't know actually who's run the page. It's sort of an idea. It's maybe some of the young lads from his club and ball on the screen. Um, but I'm sure he's aware, but just wants to, to play it down. <laughs> Uh, one other question I had is like, how are you getting on this year, Carly? There's like no chance that if Derry make an All Ireland final, you'll be back in training or anything, is there? No, uh, no chance at all. Unfortunately, no. Yeah. You probably wouldn't be on with us this morning if there was even half a chance. I suspect. <laughs> no, not a chance. Um, what's going to happen tomorrow? I fancy it. Uh, I fancy probably a similar game to the Ulster final um, against Donegal. I don't think it's going to be just as aggressive as it was against Clare. Um, it'll be cagey build-ups on both sides. I think, you know, I probably in my head would have preferred Armagh to get through that game against Gold because I think Armagh's style of play would probably sit there a wee bit more. They're more open. They tend to kick a bit and that gives you more chances to counter. Galway probably play quite similar to Derry in many ways. They're more measured. They'll, they'll go through the hands quite a bit. So I think this could be a wee bit cagey and a wee bit of a stalemate at times, but I still think there'll be a lot of quality on show. But I think, you know, either way, it'll be a few points in it, but I do think Derry just have enough to beat them. Do you think that Derry are going to devise a game plan to test the Galway keeper under the high ball? Like, it feels like a very obvious thing to take from the Armagh game, but it also feels it would be a bit of a movement away from the Rory Gallagher style. So it's a, it's a tricky one. That is a tricky one, and if you you know you lump the first two or three balls and you don't get anything out of it, you, you think I'm not doing that anymore. I don't want to cough up possession in a very important game. Um, and to be fair, I don't think the Galway sort of full back line defence is as bad under the high ball as, as it showed probably in that Armagh game. I think that was a wee bit of a freak to be fair to them. So you know if they were to start aimlessly landing balls into the square, I don't think it would really help them. Maybe once in each half would be plenty, and if you get anything out of it, you do, and if you don't, you don't. But I certainly wouldn't be changing. Derry style of play to try and you know go for that wee error in the, in the Galway defence it's the second Galway game now where it's really really hard to call for sure who is going to win it are you, are you predicting that Derry will win tomorrow <clears throat> I think by a few points you know, a fancy Galway I said to some of my friends back home that a fancy Galway move by five or six against Armagh and for a long time that was looking right and I think to be fair they were probably about a five or six better team with them free goals wasn't really a fair reflection how well Galway played for long parts of that game so tomorrow I think it's going to be uh, really tight I think you know it might even take extra time to, to separate the two sides but I do think Derry just have enough to get in the, the right side of it Is Chrissy taking a penalty if it goes there? <sighs> I would very much doubt that I Probably have enough in the forwards The other game Carly just wants to get your take quickly on it Who would Derry rather play in the final if they got there? Oh no pick your poison it's hard to know um, I think well I suppose a lot depends on whether Conor Callan's playing um, and what sort of shape he is and if he is playing but I do fancy Kerry to get through that game you know stayed for the Cork and uh, a Dublin game after the Derry game there a few weeks ago and I wasn't really impressed by how Dublin were defending they were leaving Hurley and Sherlock two on two inside about 60 yards of space and Cork kicked every ball in a lot of them were sticking. Some of them were going over the bar. If they had it took you know, some more chances, Cork actually could have been going on at half-time leading. And if they do that against Kerry with Clifford and Ganey and you know, Potty Clifford as well, I think they could leave themselves open for you know, a big concession. So unless Dublin maybe change things a wee bit at the back and they get O'Callan back into the mix, I think Kerry will probably edge that game. Right, OK. So like, what would you do if you could make a change to that Dublin defence then to, to shore things up? 
I think you just have to try and generate a plus one from somewhere. You can't leave 50 yards in front of some of the best forwards in the country. You know, if you do it even against average forwards, they're still probably going to get a fair fair few points off you. So if you're doing it against Kerry, you know, it's, it's not going to work. And we've seen how Kerry transition this year. They do kick if it's on. And if Dublin want to leave that space in Croke Park, Kerry will more than happy kick it in. And I think that could be the, the one of the game for them. But I don't expect Dublin just to be as sort of nonchalant in defence. I think they'll probably try and get, I don't know whether it be Cooper or somebody back into the hole to, to plug that space in front of uh, Clifford. Um, but if they do that, then I think it, it should be very tight. And again, it might swing it whether Conal Callan's playing or not. Okay. If he is playing, is that Dublin to win? Uh, he certainly probably does edge it that way. He's a massively important player for them. I think a lot was made in the last game against uh, a Cork that they couldn't really create any goal chances. If Con's in, they looked like scoring goals in every single game. So, He's a vitally important player for them. He's obviously probably top two players in the country, so they need him playing and need him fit. Carl, great stuff this morning. Thanks, Millie, for being with us. No problem at all. That's uh, Carl McCaig, Derry footballer. Um, got injured, obviously, at the, the start of the year. Brother of Chrissy as well. So, really interesting game tomorrow. Both games, very, very tough to call, it seems. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to be talking rugby next with Neve Briggs and Gordon Darcy. OTB. AM. 11 minutes past 8, you're very welcome back. It is time to look ahead to the second test of Ireland's tour to New Zealand tomorrow morning. They're in Dunedin. Kickoff is at 5 past 8, Irish time tomorrow morning. Delighted to welcome Neve Briggs and Gordon Darcy to the show. Uh, good morning, folks. Gordon, I might just start with yourself. Uh, what's the headspace like before a second test after you've been beaten on the scoreline, at least comfortably, in the first test? Is there this sense of opportunity that things can only get better? Um, yeah, I think it's it's it's, it's quite a hard one, isn't it? Because we'll, we'll get a good view of that uh, this weekend. Is my line bad now? Is it? You're you can hear me fine. crystal clear to me, Gordon. No, that's fine. I get a call back in my ear. Um, yeah, like you're kind of looking back at the times we played in New Zealand, and there has been good performances in the second test. But uh, realistically, history usually is the first test is that best opportunity to um, to. To get some, to get a, to get a win over, or try and get a at least performance against New Zealand. Um, I think you know we'll, we'll get a very good insight into how the players are in the first five minutes, and that's not a, a trying to avoid the avoid the question. But it's almost exactly the same team, and that team struggled in the power play piece against against New Zealand, and I suppose we're we're wheeling the same team out and looking for a different result. Um, it kind of. It, it feels it feels it's it, it might be a stretch. What other changes would you have made? I, like I think there was an opportunity to freshen things up. I think like um, like I'm a huge fan of Caelan Dars. I think he's been a brilliant player this season. But his last three or four games, he has just he probably hasn't been playing at to his high standards. And I think Gavin Coombs is probably one of the few players to come out of the the Maori game with um, with 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 a little bit of uh, with a little bit of credit. Um, I think he could have he definitely could have offered offered something there um, and again you know Bundy um, should have been space made in the centre for him I don't think Gary Ringrose had his, had his best game um, but you're you're just you're sticking with the mainstay and I think there's not that like uh, one of the things I think is very obvious and, and is there isn't that much room for for selection we know that with uh, the size of squad they brought and you know without trying to avoid it like the, the, the quality that, that that is or isn't there so there was probably two or three more places they could have selected and the fact they didn't you know is 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 surprising I think 
Neve, uh, good morning to you. Would you go along with that? The, the idea that he's been conservative in terms of his possible changes this week? Look, I think he spoke during the week about giving opportunities to players that didn't probably have their best game. Um, he, he openly said there was definitely issues in that game and players didn't play that well. And I think when you're a player and you're afforded a second opportunity, you kind of feel like that you, you know, that, that the likes of Andy Farrell and, and his coaching ticket have that confidence in you and maybe it spurs on a different performance. And I think we've definitely got to see something different. Um, my biggest worry was that when Johnny Sexton went off, we seemed to lose our way a lot. And it's got to be a case that I think we've got to start breathing something in there that if he isn't playing and if Joey isn't that type of player that's going to, you know, direct play around that somebody else takes control of that um, and you know I just didn't think we saw that last weekend If we leave the, the concussion issue uh, to the side like would you have liked to have seen a, a change at 10 this weekend then Niamh? No, Not particularly because I think that Johnny Sexton is the best 10 and I think when you go down to New Zealand you go down with a view to playing your best team every week because that's how it's so difficult down there we saw it last weekend I think New Zealand's, I actually thought Ireland played really, really well for the first 25, 30 minutes with New Zealand's ability to be so clinical after mistakes. And I think we're kind of thinking, OK, maybe if we can start as well as we did and, and um, try and fix those mistakes or not give them easy access into our half, then, you know, we can, we could, we might have a better opportunity. Like New Zealand had eight t- entries into Ireland's 22 last weekend and scored six tries. Like phenomenal accuracy. Um, so I think if you can try and manipulate the play a small bit and, and try and deny them that easy access through your own mistakes, then you know, you're know you making life difficult for them. Uh, Gordon, uh, it's hard to find kind of new ways of talking about the, the Sexton conundrum for Ireland because we've been talking about it for so long in terms of trying to find a successor, trying to find a situation that will suit Ireland at the next World Cup. Where do you currently stand on that? Do you, is it just essentially squeezing the, the, the Johnny Sexton situation until it eventually runs out? Or, or how would you play it if you were Andy Farrell? Um, yeah, like I think there's a, there's, there's a fine balance and I understand would need this opportunity to come, coming into this but there's very few games left to figure out if players are at a standard um, that you want to be at if you want uh, a World Cup to be you know the the ultimate the ju- judgment piece on it so you know Harry Byrne you know it couldn't be any it couldn't be any more Harry Byrne that he arrives in and gets um, gets injured in the you know the first week um, that, that he's there so you know I'm not sure you know and that all seeps into the coaches um Mindset is they're going like you know if we pick this guy can we actually is is he going to finish a game let alone a like a training section so I think his he's starting to um, drift in their selection policy and I, I do think like on, on recent performance like Joey has all the potential in the world but is on recent performances you're starting to wonder is he going to be the option at at at, uh, at ten as well so I think a guy you know Kieran Frawley to me I think is somebody who could bolt over the next 12 months and maybe force himself into that utility spot um, as a 10-12 uh, playmaker because one of the things that was also very clear at the weekend was the if Johnny's not there and it's just Joey we need a second playmaker um, or you you need that option, option around it um, I know the game plan is kind of designed to remove that kind of dependency on Johnny, um, but when he's not there, it really doesn't click in the same way. So someone like Kieran Frawley, who's a natural ball player, a natural carrier with like he just ha- he creates space for other players. He may he may inadvertently. 
be the uh, be the solution. Well, we were having this conversation with Ronan O'Gara last week, and he was saying that Frawley could very well be that option. The, the only issue is that how does he get his reps at number ten? Like, does there need to be uh, kind of a, an overarching decision made on him being the next guy up at, at ten, Gordon, in terms of his well, Leinster game time? Naturally, it's going to happen naturally enough with Leinster. If Harry keeps getting injured, they're going to start having to look um, at, uh, at at a at position, and maybe he. Forces the issue as well and says, "Listen, do you know what? I started as a ten. I played, did my time at twelve, but yeah, I want to go head to head with uh, with Ross and Harry for for this." What do you make of, of that conversation, Eve? Is that do you see the same trajectory for for Kieran Frawley? Yeah, look, I've been a huge fan of him for a long time. I think he's an incredibly good player, and I think that he is the perfect type of player that you'd want in your match day squad because he covers an array of positions, but. Gordon just hit the nail on the head there, you know, and, and you did as well in relation to where is he going to get those reps? You know, you've got to be very careful for next year. Johnny Sexton's obviously going to be, you know, minded exceptionally well that he's peaking for, you know, Six Nations and peaking for World Cup and, you know, therefore he, he'll have a set amount of games. But then if you're Ross Byrne, you know, Kieran Foley doesn't, you know, if, if Ross Byrne is starting for Leinster, Kieran Foley, you know, is, is down that pecking order again. So, Cleanser don't see him clearly as the, the number 210 so that's a really difficult thing for him he's very much in that balance but for me I just think he's an exceptionally good player I'd have loved to have seen him involved in 23 this weekend to be honest um, because I just do think he offers you something really good very good taking the ball to the line but also exceptionally good footwork in and around that tight area which is what you probably need today sorry so or tomorrow so yeah look, I do think there has to be a way we can try and force him in and put him under pressure in situations where we're thinking, okay, he's ready for that international step because, to be honest, at the moment, we don't really know. Mm. And, and there's also, sorry, there's just as jumping in on that, there's also a uh, something to happen in Munster as well. So they need to figure out what the pecking order is. And that's something uh, Johan van Graan never figured out in Munster. So there's still one of three backup out halves in Munster could could come through in the in the next 12 months if they get, um, as you say, in that game time and that game reps uh, done to the, to the player who deserves it. Like Jack Riley could... Um, you never know he could he could come through Ben Healy could could overtake Joey Carberry because there is still potential out there because the current the current there is no clear um beckon order in the current group so there's still plenty of uh, plenty of room for for movement I think and I guess the question to follow up with that Gordon is is 15 months enough time for a satisfying outcome to, to happen here ah uh, yeah like listen you know there's you know you can if you're good enough you know, you'll have your first test and it'll be rabbit in the headlight stuff depending on who you start at and you just go, oh, actually, this is quite a big step up. Um, but if you're good enough, you adjust to the pace and you're going to have good players all around you playing with Gibson Park, playing on the full foot. If you're good enough at 10 and you and Ireland play the way, win their set piece, which we know is paramount to where they're going, you're a good decision maker flat at the line. The Irish, you, you will you will, you will will um, swim rather than sink in, in, in that team. You just need to get the opportunity. That's what I think kind of Neve and I are kind of saying, you know, Kieran Farley would do really, really well in that, for, in that first team. This is the opportunity though, isn't it? Maybe not this weekend, well obviously not this weekend, but the final test oh, again. Like if, if we don't, but if you don't win, if we don't, if we win this weekend, it's like, listen, you know, we, we'll, we'll judge this very harshly, obviously, off the back of it, but like, if we don't win this week and you just make a raft of changes next week, you know, it's not, it's not the solution. No, but it's when not, you when you're making when you're making selections based on the you know reactive selections, you know, you're all it's you know it, it will it will feel very 
you know, it'll feel very disjointed, I think, at that stage. Mm. It wouldn't even be so much, I'm not suggesting like a raft of changes, it's just about the situation at 10, like playing beside Gibson Park, playing behind your first choice pack. Like, there won't be too many more opportunities that are as good as playing away against the All Blacks, right? You can pick that yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, you like listen. Yeah. Sorry, go for it, Neve. Sorry, yeah, um, yeah, look, you're completely right, but I do think it all depends on this. This, this result to, to this weekend I think if Ireland win that game they go into a test series decider and you're thinking there's no way there's going to be many changes unfortunately um, but if there isn't then 100% but I still think that they need to give Joey that time too and there's the fine balance you know you've got a, there's a clear in my mind there's a clear definition that Johnny's number one and Joey's number two and everything else comes in after us and at this point in time and and you know Joey needs more reps at that level. Um, I think Ron Nogara hit the nail on the head on Sky Sports last weekend to say that he's a very good and exceptionally good rugby player, but is he an exceptionally good 10? Um, I think that's where the conundrum of Joey lies at the moment. So do you you know, decide, OK, he could be our utility back in terms of our second playmaker from a 15 position and let's try and move Kieran Frawley into that 10-12 position? Um, I don't know. That's definitely way above my pay grade, but I think at the moment it's it's very clear and obvious to me that you know that Joey is their second ten, and if there's going to be a change at that position next weekend, I I'd imagine it'll be him starting there. Uh, Gordon, I know I need to uh, let you go in just a couple of minutes. Just on the All Blacks, it's interesting looking at their team this week. Ronald O'Gara saying in the Irish Examiner that Whitelock is a ten to fifteen point difference maker. Do you put him down as as that big a loss for them this weekend as well? Um, potentially, yeah. I think um, it would give because I was wondering how they were going to solve the lineup because um, obviously the, the calling aspect from James Ryan doesn't seem to be coming massively natural to him, and that uh, Dan Sheehan is is only a recent convert into a into a, into hookers. So I think it does give them an, an, a massive opportunity to to win quality possession and for players to be banking on it. Um, so yeah, no, I think that is that is a, that's a huge. A huge turn for for Ireland because they can be a little bit more creative. They can get a little bit of movement. They get get some tempo into it, and they can just if they win their ball, then anything anything can can happen. So he when they when New Zealand competed and we watched the game back when New Zealand competed at our lineup, like we really struggled, we really did, and you know he was he's a key driver in that. What do you expect will happen tomorrow, Gordon? <laughs> um, I just going to shake my magic eight ball here. Um, mm. It's I'm. Really, I would be just. I'm just worried with the the form of key players coming in and their ability to last. You know, particularly in the tight five uh, against this. Um, and I think New Zealand know have a good footprint to to stop Ireland. Um, I think we will do. We will be really competitive again for 40, 50, 60 minutes. But I'm not sure we're in a position at the moment to be able to stop that. Kind of ten to fourteen minute spell that New Zealand are so capable of scoring that three four tries um, on the on the on the bounce that just blow teams away. Gordon, thanks million for being with us this morning. Take care. Thanks million, guys. Uh, Neve, good to see. You. Catch up here. Uh, Neve, we'll just pick things up there. In terms of when you analyse Saturday last week, and you've touched on this already, the the, the sort of I guess the, the ruthless efficiency of the All Blacks, and then maybe some of the inefficiency from Ireland in attack, those those near misses. Do you cling to those as like instances of hope or does that actually suggest to you that this is going to be the trend throughout the entire series? No, I, I definitely think them instances of hope, they're, they're quite easy fixes. I think in terms of that efficiency in the 22, I think Ireland's 
I think I read somewhere yesterday that they had 12 entries and they came away with three tries and it was an unfortunate one with Joey obviously and Van der Fleer and so there was definitely opportunities and I think that if you're Andy Farrell and Paul O'Connell and these guys you, you know you're 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 putting down the screen and you're saying, look, like we've had a lot of entries in. This is our our ability to get there. We can do it. So we minimize these mistakes or we look at changing up a power play within that zone. Then, you know, there's space. And there was, um, you know, a clear picture while they were continuing to pick and jam around the goalposts and Gary Ringrose is in acres of space on the edge. You know, you're just looking at one quick thinking flash, like, you know, Gibson Park's quick flat pass or like even a flat kick. Um, and that's another score. And I just I do think that there was opportunities there that they left behind completely and utterly in terms of I understand that their their set piece caused issues, the scrum and the line out. But I, I do think that if you're looking at them objectively and you're trying to build confidence within that group, you're telling them, Okay, look, we become more efficient in these areas and, and scores will come. And I guess that probably explains some of the team selection as well this weekend. It is backing them to get it right this weekend. I hate to be, you know, a glass half empty with this next point, but the outcome this weekend is is really important in that context. Like if if they have a similar enough scoreline after being backed midweek, that probably puts them in a in a pretty difficult position going into Test three and and even I guess the, the long term confidence of this team. Yeah, look, I think it's very difficult to, in terms of and, and very different in relation to that confidence thing. You know, we speak all the time about how difficult it is to win down there. And of course it is, because you've got to remember that the, this side of the world, you know, they're at a very end of a very, very long season. And when they when New Zealand come to, to Ireland in November, they're at an incredibly long season. So it's really difficult to gauge until you actually get to a World Cup. And I think... I think that they won't read a huge amount into the fact that if they, you know results or whatever it is after the end of these three tests I think it'll be more a case that okay we've set pointers out in terms of points of difference in relation to getting guys international experience getting guys experiencing camp how do and you find out very quickly of who are those are good in around that environment who can catch up quickly who's very coachable and then with a viewpoint that okay we can we can take these guys and improve in relation to the World Cup next year and I think while the here and now is really important, I, I actually do think it's, it's what's coming down the line um, for the next World Cup. That's that's probably where they have one eye on um, in relation to this group and where they're going. So, like, it can be a productive tour even if you do lose all three games. Like, it is possible to take positives from it even if that's the scenario. Yeah, I, I 100% think it is. I think that, look, <clears throat> it's very difficult. You want to go out to New Zealand, you want to win, you want to try and create history because, you know, you've never won a away test down there and you can go and do that imagine the confidence and the the off-season for these players. But also, you know, you listen to the players you know, after the game and during the week and for me, I thought it was it was a different kind of type of interview in relation to yeah, look, we lost. There are definitely areas that we can fix, but we also know that we can be we can be way better, and we also know that we played really well for that first 25, 30 minutes. And and a lot of these players wouldn't have been in a position where if you make a mistake, one small mistake in the URC or Champions Cup, you know, just, it can be covered up very quickly. At this level in New Zealand, this ruthless nature that they have, you drop a ball, you have a loose kick their ability to score straight away off that which we saw last weekend is the best in the world and it's what makes them so good so I think you're going in this weekend with a viewpoint to try and not kick away possession loosely to hold onto the ball more to be more efficient in and around your set piece and that breakdown and if at the end of the day the result per se doesn't go but you've got a good performance then 
that's a win, I think, because of where they are in their seasons. Mm. And, and Andy Farrell's thing this week has been about the, the stomach for the fight. He says, we'll see if we'll have the, the stomach for the pressure. Uh, that that was his line this week. He's, he's laid down that marker uh, in the past and it seems that the team has responded pretty well to, to whenever he's, he's spoken about that. Um, it is interesting, though, that that is the, the, the challenge that their head coach is laying down in public for them this week, just to see if they, they have the bottle for a second test in New Zealand after that defeat last week. Um, how, how, do, how does a team respond to that, Niamh, when when their head coach is saying stuff like that? Yeah, look, I, I thought it was really interesting before the tour, you know, he basically he, he said in an interview that we'll, we'll see who can, you know, we'll know very quickly who can live at this level and who can't within his own playing. I thought that was very interesting. And um, I thought it was really good, very honest to say it, because as a player, you know exactly what the coach is thinking. And this week, it's no different. I think he's completely right. I think it's, you know, at times in the past, you've lost the first test having played well in patches or made huge amount of mistakes. And then, you know, we've been in positions where we've got annihilated the following week and um, and come back and played well in the third test. It's that ability to, and this is what it is, it's, it's a World Cup prep almost. It's that ability to churn out performances week after week and to be able to put good games and good moments together, you know, three weeks in a row to get that emotional pitch, to be able to be mentally in there seven, you know, seven days, in a, every seven days, sorry, because... You, you you get really high highs and you get really, really low lows, but it's that ability to be able to keep them in an even keel. And I know they spoke this week about, you know, the work that Gary Keegan's doing with them and having that balance, that they're, you know, not getting too down in relation to moments of that match and the result last week, but also not getting too high, you know, if they go and get a win. So um, I think that that's the most important thing. It's their ability to, if they have, a, you know, an issue in the first or second game in their group stage in the World Cup, that they have the ability to bounce back and that's what he's looking for because mm. it did seem maybe at the last World Cup that once the defeat to Japan happened kind of the wheels came off a little bit maybe that's a little bit harsh maybe it was like they were, maybe they were never going to beat New Zealand that year anyway but it did feel that maybe that, that got under the skin a little bit so do you feel that they're a little bit better equipped at the moment to deal with those setbacks? Genuinely I, I don't know because they've been you know very efficient in the Six Nations mm. over the last couple of seasons and so this is the test and this is what he's talking about. He, you know, Andy Farrell is saying to me, you know, whether we have that stomach, whether we have the ability to bounce back, whether we have the ability to be able to come off that pitch last weekend and be very, very disappointed, but to be able to turn up seven days later and be very much in the zone. It's a very difficult thing to do for a player. Um, but that's what that's what he's looking for in relation to what's coming down the line. And I think they show up tomorrow players show up tomorrow and they play that's a ticket almost to the plane to, to the World Cup and um, so yeah look it is a very difficult thing to do but and, and and we don't know it's like talking about players that we haven't seen before you know strength and depth in international rugby there's nowhere like New Zealand to, to go and try and test the player internationally but just to, to say you know should we throw them in we generally don't know because we don't know if they're capable of that of that ceiling so um, yeah look I, I think that's definitely the conundrum for Andrew Farrell and his, and his coaching ticket Alan Quinlan was making the point yesterday that if Ireland are in the game come the hour mark tomorrow that they have every chance of winning it and he thinks that they will win it if they're, if they're, if they're in that position so what do Ireland need to do to get to that point at least Niamh, of, of being in a contest after an hour yeah, look, I think they talked this week about, you know, the set piece. Paul O'Connell spoke about the areas that they need to, to work on. I think Gordon made a good point in relation to, you know, the, the line out um, and make, making it more efficient. Um, you know, we, we asked a lot of our front five last week and we've got to ask them to go to the well again. And if they can ne- negate that first 60 minutes in the game, well, then, you know, I feel like from a, 
a back three, you know, back row to, to, to 15 that we're very capable and we've got a lot of game changers in that. So, um, yeah, I, I do think that set piece is going to be huge and I'd be, they've got to be more clinical in that 22 space. So when they get in there, they've got to come away with a score every time. And they speak all the time about the ability to score tries against teams like New Zealand because penalties won't do. But you've got to find a balance that, you know, you've got to make sure that every time you enter there in that score and so when you're coming away with something. Do you think they have a chance? Do you think they will get come away with something tomorrow? Yeah, look, I think they have a chance. I think it's going to be difficult for them for sure. Um, the New Zealand team blew me away last weekend in relation to their efficiency. And I think Ireland aren't used to that. They're not used to that pressure um, constantly. Um, so, But um, the fact that my luck is missing um, is a big loss for them. He's like their, their leader. There's been a huge amount of calls for him to be the captain of the side, um, which is strange. For, in terms of, you know, just an active player playing. But so, yeah, if he, he, Dalton Papali has had a brilliant super rugby campaign. Um, you know, the fellow that's coming for him. So, I, I look, I, I think it's going to be difficult. I think what Ireland are looking for tomorrow is performance. Of course, they can win, but I just think you've got to look at a more consistent performance across the 80 minutes. Yeah, for sure. Neve, great stuff this morning. Thanks, Millie, for being with us. Thanks, Millie. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Neve Briggs there on the line, former Ireland captain. It is a five past eight. Kickoff tomorrow morning in Dunedin. It's the second test. Ireland obviously uh, beaten comfortably in the scoreline anyway uh, in the first test. So tomorrow, pretty important morning for the Ireland team. Uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It is time for the sports pages. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, Emma, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. The Irish Examiner this morning leads with that Ronald O'Gara column. White locks, all black absence is worth 10 to 15 points to Ireland. Got a Pat Ryan interview in there as well, the new Cork manager. Uh, Emer Ryan talking about Cody and Kylie and how they couldn't be more different in style and the business and sport column on how Munster managed Van Grand's bombshell. So those are some of the headlines on the Irish Examiner sports section. The back of the Guardian leads with Rafael Nadal injury ends slam dream Nadal forced out of Wimbledon to hand Kyrgios final chance looking forward to that today oh if you like the the sporting world has been shafted a bit with that one yeah. like everyone was because it was sort of building up to be a perfect Wimbledon Friday I've really got into it this year really enjoyed it this year and uh, the sort of Djokovic Nori one was first, I think, wasn't it? I think that was up first, I think, was it? Or was it the way around, or were they side to yeah, side? No, I thought Nadal was supposed to be at half one. I could be oh, wrong. Apologies, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Sorry, but either way, you had sort of the mm. uh, that the, the likely underdog Brit against Djokovic angle, which is, gives you a certain type of storyline, and then yeah. you have the Kyrgios Nadal thing, where there's a bit of a beef and there's sort of a historic dislike, and but it has everything going for it as a game and then that's just gone now and all of a sudden it just sort of feels like potentially Djokovic does a job on Nori and it's a bit of an anti-climax really on yeah. Friday which has been like a really enjoyable tournament and it was all felt like it was building towards this this day and then it's just it's just taken away it, it, the one disappointment for me is that uh, you know liking Nikirios is no longer unfashionable it seems that it's very fashionable Like I got on board with that yeah, yeah. A, long, a long time ago that, the, yeah. the, this bandwagon is uh, has, has left the station a long time ago and, and it feels that if you weren't already on board it was just the, the journalist asking about yeah. the, the, the Jordans I, I tweeted people. something about Kyrgios because uh, like, I know obviously I mean, there's something going on with him this week this case which is like you know not to sort of be 
uh, to be flippant about that it's obviously something that's going on with him that it, that it's that it you know it, it needs to that will come out in due course I suppose be dealt with in due course but I did put out something like the BBC commentary treatment of my thought in one of the games last week was unbelievable um, so I did put out a tweet about this at the time which somehow seemed to like be you know propelled into tennis Twitter to the point where a mate of mine in Australia got in touch with me and said that my tweet was now being quoted in like wow. Fox Sports Australia uh, news articles. So it's like it's very easy to become some kind of tennis influencer here. Yeah, yeah, like, this clearly. Is it, like, you, just need to, you just need to put something out there and it takes off to a different level. But he's sort of all of a sudden he's like he's crept into this Wimbledon final now. You sort of forget that he's that he's that he's there, mm. you know, and he's going to be the center stage on Sunday, no matter what happens now yeah and it's, it's an incredible opportunity for him kind of mad like there's a, there's obviously every chance that, that Djokovic does a, a job on him on Sunday as well so uh, it's him against Cam Norrie today at uh, quarter to three if you're looking to watch that but it should be should be pretty straightforward for yeah I thought so yeah um, that is the story on the back of uh, the London Times this morning as well Nadal injury puts Kyrgios in men's final I can't serve says Spaniard as he pulls out with injury um there's a photograph of Nadal in his press conference yesterday and uh, police urged to investigate Stoke abuse, writes Matt Lawton on the back of the London Times. A group of eight former footballers are calling for Staffordshire police to open a new investigation into allegations of historical, sexual, physical and mental abuse at Stoke City. Uh, in 2015, a former Stoke apprentice, George Blackstock, sued the club's former goalkeeper, Peter Fox, in the club for the abuse that he claims to have suffered between 1986 and 1988. Um, some pretty horrific. Um, yeah, I, I read the I read this. the full piece last night. It's a Matt Lawton piece, and yeah, it is. It's uh, yeah, no, it is pretty harrowing stuff. Really, it's again, it's it's sort of it's it's painting a picture of a sort of a dressing room culture, initiation rituals, whatever you want to call it. Um, which, as you reference, was previously dealt with, but probably in a quite unsatisfactory way, because it seems like more people are coming forward and more people willing to speak. In fact, I think there's in the piece further down. Um, I think there's like another player who's who's quoted anonymously didn't want to be uh, didn't want to be quoted, but I think they they actually now work in the. I think they're a policeman now, you know, and and clearly there are sort of people involved who now feel, for whatever reason, that they can they can get their voice heard on this. So I suspect it's one we'll be hearing more of. Yeah, absolutely. At the back of the Irish Sun, leads with the Cristiano Ronaldo story. Chris to miss Reds tour. Eric's men take off without superstar, so he's uh, not gone uh, to Asia for their pre-season tour uh, meanwhile Eric Ten Hag says plug the leaks not in defence lads but the secrets coming out of the Old Trafford dressing room be interesting to see if there's any success in that mm. and uh, that's the headline as well on the back of the Irish Daily Star snitches get stitches Ten Hag orders code of Amerta at United uh, elsewhere on the back page here um, Con is touch and go Dublin star forward Con O'Callaghan is in a race against time to make the cut for Sunday's All-Ireland semi-final this is Kieran Cunningham writing this morning uh, he missed the quarter-final at Cork with a hamstring problem but Dublin want to give him every chance of proving his fitness uh, now better news on the James McCarthy front they write that he's trained well and is expected to start at centre-back so uh, that's the latest from the star on the Dublin fitness situation the back of the Irish Daily Mail is agony for Nadal Rafa out with injury Kyrgios through to final and Farrell says we've got the answers for all blacks and that's uh, Max Matta celebrating for Sligo uh, after their win in Wales during their win in Wales last night in Europe and uh, the Telegraph goes with uh, Nadal out of semi-final after injury 
and uh, Ronaldo misses start of United's tour what do you make of the Ronaldo situation at the moment? Like I don't know I mean it feels like it's coming towards an inevitable conclusion um, that he that he probably does go the way it's going I mean I find the whole Chelsea thing a bit bizarre mm-hmm. really Um I don't know. Like it does feel like, for the sake of Ten Hag and a clean slate, it would be easier for him if Ronaldo wasn't there. But obviously, you know, he's he's. Uh, it's not just an easy thing to move Ronaldo on because there's so much that comes with him. You know, the 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 package that comes with Ronaldo and the uh, the commercial angle and image rights and all the various angles that come with him as a as a player. He's not just a simple one where you can sort of uh, do some kind of swift severance deal and, and move things on or, or a quick fix transfer or whatever it's it's not straightforward because of the the size of the Ronaldo machine you know um, so. Would United be laughing if uh, Chelsea came in and, and actually took the math for our hands? <sighs> Presumably I mean I don't know is laughing the term but I mean I, I think it would solve a problem for them mm. potentially um, unless we're completely reading the situation wrong and like Ten Hag has a firm vision for where he can somehow have a role to play for him but it would be easier if that like we, we heard all this thing about Ten Hag come in that like he wasn't necessarily going to be like he wasn't going to be the type of manager say that controls every aspect of the club that they want him to be a coach you know so, so that to me sort of read more like you know, even elements of recruitment you know he's not going to be getting his hands dirty with, it, with too many aspects of it that was how it was portrayed anyway before his appointment um, and you obviously have to be might be an element of spin around aspects of that but it seems like this is something he'd be better off just that over his head this being fixed there'd be no problem and I'm sure as a club yeah I don't think they'd be too unhappy I mean if if he comes to them if he if he's coming in trying to like turn this club around and if he is communicating to them that he doesn't see him in his plans well then it's sort of their job to to deal with that and not leave him with a very high profile unhappy person there if that is the that that turns out to be the case. The leaks situation then, like how significant is that for, for Ten Hag? It feels like there's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can do. I mean, there really is nothing he can do other than, um, like you take everyone out, you know, because like there was so many leaks last year. Like you can play, I mean, it's a dangerous game to start trying to guess where it might be coming from. And like sometimes you have people on here going, oh, well, I think it might be an we agent of this guess. player. We didn't need to guess last year. Paul Scholes, they throw Jesse Lingard well, under the bus. Yeah, for old Jesse, yeah. I mean, who is it apart from Lingard and his people? Yeah. Um, like, But it was almost too, that was almost too obvious. Like, But there was more stuff out there that couldn't all have been just coming from one particular area. Um, because what happens then if you decide, yes, this is exactly who it is, you take them out, and then all of a sudden these leaks continue yeah. I was like oh no what have we done here <laughs> I, mean, I think there's more to it than that there's way more to it than that there's like um, there's obviously with the nature of these things it's generally it's, it's, it's intermediaries that tend to be involved with a lot of it and I don't know how because it, that 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 sort of says well how do you fix the culture of a club you, mean, you, can, you can say you can start from scratch and, but you can't do that because you just can't clear everyone out mm. like you know um, have United bottomed out do you think is it like have we definitely seen like is, is last season definitely the worst it's going to be um, uh, I mean if this season isn't any better is that is that worse again because they haven't improved you know what I mean like like you dropped you dropped to the bottom of the chart yeah. if you flatline along at that chart is that is that even worse because then it just becomes more habitual that this is a normal season possibly I think he can get away with one uh, like a non-improvement season right maybe one yeah. but like it would have to be 
there'd have to be a completely different sort of music around the whole thing. You know, if yeah. there's no leaks and everyone seems like they're they're pushing in a particular direction, it's something you can believe in. Well, then maybe that's that's tolerable if you're if the position of the table remains the same. Yeah, sorry, not, not improvement. Like, you'd need to have some sort of ta- some sort of tangible improvement for sure, but maybe not necessarily if they don't get into the Champions League, for example, again. Yeah. Season, if they don't have any silverware. Like, uh, the worst thing is to be irrelevant. Like, you had that last day of the Premier yeah. League season where they were playing Crystal Palace and there was all these storylines going elsewhere and they weren't even involved. Like, yeah. they never seemed less relevant, which is possibly the worst thing for them. So, it's true. if they end up stable but irrelevant, that's probably not great either. No, no, very much so. Uh, might just bring you through the Irish Times as well at the end. Irish Times, yeah. You appear to have uh, misplaced your own paper as well this morning. The under the roof and cornered, but opportunity remains for Ireland. It's Jerry Thornley speaking about um, how he reckons it'd be the best one-off result in Irish rugby history if they did. Right. And they're playing under the roof tomorrow in Dunedin, which I didn't yeah. realise this. Yeah. I, did, I, did, I was at Johnny on with uh, Alan Quillen the other day and I, mean, I thought it was actually quite a good question in the sense of, like, why is it so hard to win in New Zealand when it's not as if there's some climate aspect to it it's not as if you're going to like a place where like these dreadful conditions you're playing in it is just yeah the, there's obviously a mental aspect to it mystique like you know oh. it is sort of mystique like you can like if you're capable I understand home advantage in all sport you know, or neutral like Chicago or something I understand that these variables can be influential but it is still 15 v 15 mm. in a place that's not like unbelievably difficult conditions that sort of are knocking lads out with a regular rhythm if you know what I mean yeah so I, I, it is It is that is maybe the mystique like that the record is that collectively so bad you know and um, he, I, I can understand possibly why in that, in that context Jerry is making the point that um, you know it would be the greatest one-off victory if they did do it where, where does the culture of the All Blacks rank in your you know top five great uh, sporting cultures, cultures? Well, yeah. it was, isn't they're the famous no dickheads one is yeah yeah yeah, that's like, one, yeah. But the, they the sweep the sheds better than everybody else yeah exactly like their dressing rooms are exceptionally clean yeah um, and I, I presume it's up there because everyone seems to go there as a as a as their gold standard culture you know but what happens if it's a bit like people talk about you know German efficiency and then they go there and the trains don't run time <laughs> and they go well, what goes on like maybe there, maybe there is a dickhead in there you know like it's possible that there is it's possible that occasionally can't believe you, know, you would say such a thing it's possible that maybe in the in the whatsapp group there's occasionally some like bad behaviour or discord or disharmony no chance you know the results speak for themselves Dan no, but apart from the fact they don't actually win everything though do they, they, they they've lost some stuff in recent times don't let facts get in so the way so of the culture uh, isn't perfect good veneer yeah the back page of the end I was reading it I feel like I should do it yeah it I is, had it earlier it, it was to do with the uh, the Charlton Cup yeah. um, which I think is quite interesting that they're popping up a, I'm getting up our e-paper here which has it they're trumping up the holiday fund for the Talton Cup winners 60 is, grand I think is it yeah 60 grand into the holiday fund which is very much a, a sense of because this game is on this week yeah. there's obviously a big sort of focus on making this competition relevant so yeah Talton's Cup's holiday bonus Kavanaugh Westmead set to receive a 60 grand top up towards their end of year team trip um, the prize is part of a this is a column key story a suite of measures that the GA have introduced to help with promotion and interest in their new secondary competition the winners of the Sam Maguire I didn't know this now I have to say maybe it's very well known and sort of GA circles the winners of the Sam Maguire and Liam McCarthy Cup are usually in the receipt of around 80 grand right. as a contribution to the holiday fund so the Talton grant is 60 grand although that hasn't been officially conveyed to the counties yet ok so there's a carrot here which they don't know exists but like, where is it does it just go into the, does it pay for the flights like do they get fast tracked is it hotels yeah 
You know, is it well, sort like, of a just splash it on in the terminal one bar in like, Dublin Airport? This is what I'm saying. Like, is to give you a, a, a pre? You know, do you get into the lounge? Yeah. Like, you know, how do you actually you divide? To. Where does this? Where does this sixty grand go? I know. Can can uh, can a cabin PRO or, or a trip organizer stretch sixty grand to an entire holiday? Probably. <laughs> can we clarify this yeah. exactly? Like, how far can sixty grand take you? Does it get you a good re- restaurant booking somewhere? It's a it's a grace. Prize. I mean, that that had been mentioned kind of like in passing. It's one of those throwaway cliches about any sort of non-top tier competition. Is like, well, there needs to be, you know, the holiday needs to be paid for or something like that. Or needs to be, they need to go on the all-star trip. That's a genuine incentive. And like, I mean, the, the opportunities for, for teams to go on holidays is usually just reserved to the All-Ireland finalists and the losers. Yeah, the Talisman Cup has that same standing. I mean, that's a, I think that's a good character. It is a character it, for them. It's a great award. It's just such a, I just think it's a sort of um it's just one of these things like traditions are such that like they're so entrenched for a long period of time that they're very normal to people who know it and live it and then you step back from outside you're thinking yeah this is mad like this is a team playing in front of a huge crowd and they're looking for a, a holiday fund it's like yeah. bullseye or something you know like trying to, like, trying to get a speedboat <laughs> like you know for yeah. like for you, go, you have this big sort of contest for this sort of prize it's very hard to quantify like what, what it means it's like what if you can't go that week? They should just like wheel Marty Whelan onto the pitch at the end of <laughs> yeah. the All-Ireland to play winning streak. Diamond Dilemma is for there, the winners. Is there like a big novelty check they could possibly present to them? That you would know, be fantastic. With, with like sort of a, a couple of people aside dressed in holiday clover as if to yeah. represent this sort of sun-drenched paradise they're going to go towards. That's it, just people in, in Hawaiian gear coming <laughs> oh on God, with the, that, the big check. That's what the trophy presentation <laughs> should be. If it doesn't quite have the traditional cup status of the main ones, that's what you need. Yeah, 100%. You know? yeah. I, I didn't realise that. It's, it's it's interesting that they haven't uh, told them what the prize is but, so they're just playing for pride this weekend uh, we are going to uh, chat a little bit about the, the Talton Cup final of course in our quick picks which we'll get to in just a moment but now you can tune into Off the Ball every day this week where with thanks to Sport Ireland Campus we have daily prizes of 200 euro vouchers that can be used towards membership at their elite gym facility and pitch rentals for your team kids sport academies and camps or a family visit to Aquazone Water Park plus an amazing overall prize of a €1,000 voucher, a money can't buy behind-the-scenes tour and a sports team fitness testing session by an experienced strength and conditioning coach. It's all with thanks to Sport Ireland Campus, the home of Irish sport from beginners to high performance and everyone in between. Here we go. Now, time for the quick picks. Some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. They like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. All right, you are welcome along to the quick picks. We have everyone on the line, I believe. We've got Ashling. how are you? Very well, Tommy. What's the crack? Good morning, folks. How are we? And Adrian Barry with a different background. Adrian, how are you getting on? Full house. Where Where are you, Adrian? I'm um, I'm on the line. And, uh, it's been going to be AM this morning, and I have noted. I've made a little note here on of the uh, elitism on Talton Cup final weekend. The elitism that's already swayed the narrative. Uh, it's great that they're playing for a holiday fund. It's not just pride they're playing. Jeez, could you be more patronising? Why? What else is like? I mean, what else is there to, to play for? Pride, the Talton Cup. Do, do, do they need? Do they need a holiday funds to, to kind of rubber stamp this thing? It's, um, it's a national, it's a national final of significance for the second tier um, of teams. On, I'm all for it. You know, um, sixty grand. Uh, and I, we were talking about Cavan uh, Piero. He, he or she needn't worry too much about it. Um, we're going another direction, obviously. Um, sixty grand in a group. What, what would they be in a group like? Forty-five. 
ish um, traveling party to the squad and back room and all that sort of stuff 60 grand won't go very far are you going on tomorrow I won't be able to make it but I'll be watching it good stuff um, right let's get into our picks I think we are going to start with the Talton Cup final it is Westmead against Cavan tomorrow let's see who we're picking oh we've got a a split vote here so myself and Ashton are going for Cavan Tommy, Will and Adrian are going for Westmead Adrian we'll just stick with you for a sec you believe your boys are going to do it I think it could be a cracker I do think they'll come out the right side of it I don't think it'll be very much there isn't very much clearly between the teams I think it could be an absolute belter of a game when you look at the score lines that people have put up across the year two of them put up um, big scores in Westmead's case Westmead's case that includes in the provincial championship uh, 215 against Kildare even and I know that that were within a goal of Kildare obviously in the end uh, definitely didn't tell the full story of the game but it did show capacity and I've like, been very frustrated with Westmead for the last 10 plus years in their inability to put up any more than 5 or 13 points in any one game and they've blitzed that out the, out the gate this year and Cavan have done likewise in games as well um, how the how the you know very tight win obviously over Sligo uh, puts the pin of their collar in a way that Westmead weren't against the depleted you know awfully how all that plays out um, will be will be difficult to see but but the the will be interesting to see but it's been interesting because both of them as well have really flitted in and out of games like including Cavan were six or seven points up against Sligo early on um, and I have said on this show before that Westmead when they're on it I think could put it up against any of the um, most of the best teams in the country when they play for that 15 or 20 minutes which they just haven't been able to put together for 70 minutes I don't expect that to happen this weekend either I expect both of them to fade in and out of the game which could um, definitely lend itself to that idea of the cracker it's almost like um, you know they have, uh, both of them have the NBA jam catch up mode on at various points to allow the other team into it to put together a run in 10 or, 10 or 15 minutes where they're just lashing over scores and drawing themselves back into the match um, and you know if that if that plays out the way four months have suggested it might it could be an absolute belter you've mentioned crackers so many times Adrian I just can't stop thinking about cheese and, dairy, dairy girls and I, ju- I just can't help but ask and reveal how is the cheese in France I mean you are in France I mean people like you, there is a there's a lovely French curtain behind you like how is the wine and the cheese in France this is this is you and your element uh, I haven't had a huge amount of cheese so far I've had a little bit of wine but um, technically I'm still working this week on so okay. you know yourself yeah. yeah Tommy it felt that a couple of weeks ago there was consensus that Cavan were going to be Talton Cup champs there was nothing that anybody could do to stop them so why all of a sudden are we all very uncertain about the outcome of tomorrow well, um, it depends on who you were talking to back then a couple of weeks ago. Like, oh, you're, you've been Westmead from the start, have you? I call Westmead from the very start. All right, so okay. Westmead were my team to win the Talton Cup. Yeah, 100%. So um, it's going to be tight. As Adrian said, it's going to be a cracker. I like the way Adrian was talking about the NBA catch-up mode. For me, it's about who has the best purple patch. Like That's, that's the most important part that's going to happen here this weekend. And when the other team gets on top, can they be quelled? So Cavan have plenty of shooters across the board. Westmead are the same. And I'm just backing the likes of John Heslin to just get them over the line. There's a supporting cast now in Westmead that have come to the fore over the last little while in Ronan O'Toole, Sam McCartan, even Lorcan Dolan. Um, that's going to be very close. But when you go through that list of Cavan footballers, there's a lot of quality in that team. Faulkner full back, Clark at six. You've got Galligan and, and Smith in midfield. Two shooters, two quality box office footballers. And that's before you get to the likes of Paddy Lynch and Garold McKiernan. So this is going to be a quality game of football. Ashling, you're on our side of the fence here with, with Cavan. You've uh, stuck. And and I know 
there was a couple of red flags, I think, in that semi-final against Ligo, to be honest. But um, you've you've stuck firm with with Cavan for this final. Yeah, oh, and I have, but it, it wasn't easy to decide. I was sort of swayed towards Westmead just on their recent form. I think they've been getting better and better, really improving. They're exciting to watch. But it just swayed me from the Ulster Championship and seeing what Cavan can do. And I think when it comes down to it, we're in Crow Park, there's silverware on the line, the experience that Cavan have. Tommy just went through some of the players there. I think this will mean a hell of a lot to them. And I think they can turn it on when they want to turn it on. Um, Mickey Graham is a, an unbelievable manager. They really buy into to, into what he says, and you know they really back him. And I think that they, I think that they can go all the way if you know they put the performance that I know they can put in. We've seen them in the Ulster Championship. We've seen them with a few really surprising results over the years as well. I say 2020 against Donegal in that Ulster final as well. So. Yeah, I think when it matters most, Calvin will show up. But look, Westmead have been brilliant. The likes of John Heston, even the likes of Luca Lachlan coming on off the bench a lot of the times. He's been epic this year as well. So they they have that strength and depth through the squad. So it's, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a brilliant final. But isn't it great that we're still seeing these teams at this time of year um, in the final looking for, for silverware? It's brilliant to see. Yeah, and it's great that there's a 60 grand bounty on the head of the, the Talton Cup as well this year. I, I think, Adrian, you'd be uh, rightly salivating when you look at Cavan uh, getting opened up a little bit in the second half of that Talton Cup semi-final. I think that that would show that there's going to be plenty of opportunity for that Westmead attack to, to carve them open at the weekend. But I think the Mickey Graham factor has to be brought into account there as well. Surely Lightning can strike twice. He'll have looked at their own tape. He doesn't even need to study Westmead. He'll look at his own tape and say, we can be a hell of a lot better. So they won their semi-final without being really really good I would say Cavan especially at the back I thought thought they, they looked quite vulnerable and I expect them to fix it tomorrow and that's why I'm going for a Cavan win but the majority on the quick picks are going for Westmead because uh, Will is going for Westmead yeah. as well uh, final word Tommy before we move on to the semi-finals you were about to come in there Sorry Owen yeah, it, it just all depends on what Cavan turns up is it the Cavan team that won Ulster in 2020 or is it a team that lost a playoff a relegation playoff to Wicklow and Navin in 21 to ground to Division 4 <laughs> Um, probably the one we've seen this year you know the the team that like did, didn't get annihilated and also the team that did win the Division 4 final that did win their Talton Cup semi-final like yeah. they've like they're in the final for a reason they haven't got here by losing games no, 100%. I'd argue with you though that there was two cabins that appeared this year the, the football that was played in the Division 4 final was pedestrian stuff yeah it was bad and it was a world apart from the cabin we saw against Donegal yeah. and I just think that is that little bit of inconsistency in, in cabin is why I'm edging towards Westmead the two of them show the same stuff. That's the thing. They're, they're, they, they can turn up on the day, which that's the reason. Either of these teams on the day, if they play to the top of their quality, would be at home in an All-Ireland quarterfinal. Yeah. Yeah. If both um, teams play to the top of their quality, who wins? That's me. See, yeah. I, I don't think, I think Cavan. Yeah, I think if both yeah. teams play to the top of their quality, Cavan win and, and uh, that's kind of what we're probably uh, just, disagreeing on here. I just think Leinster, I just think Leinster's a bit stronger than Ulster lads. And yeah, anyways. of course. Yeah, how could, how could you possibly disagree <laughs> with that? Okay, so <laughs> it is uh, three for Westmead, two for Cavan. Let's move on to our first semi-final, which uh, let's go with Kerry Dublin first to see where people are going on this one. Okay, everybody's going for Kerry except Adrian, who's your daddy Barry. Why have you gone against Kerry, Adrian? Um, now that you've painted that way on, I'm starting to doubt myself already. But um, I, it's I, there isn't very much between them. There is nothing between either of these games, any of the three of them, in fact. And um, 
I think that there are still question marks about Kerry. Um, they had nothing to do to win. Like, we don't actually really know the true personality of this Kerry team yet, to be honest with you, this year. Um, they had nothing to do to win Munster. They beat a Mayo side. Like, how, how much do we read into where they, had they beaten the Mayo side, who were a group who were coming to the end of an era, who were dead on their feet, or was that really a really good Mayo side? We know they're really good individual players, but was it a really good side? So, you know, on that basis, was it a really impressive win? It's impossible to know, and so there's big question marks about them, and that's part of them. Um, I, I feel it's the former, obviously, and that's why I'm leaning towards Dublin. I um, They have the scar tissue of Cork, couple of years ago the scar tissue of Tyrone very difficult to know where they're at um, you know I heard you were saying earlier on about uh, Kieran Cunningham reporting this morning that Con is 50-50 they're not bad odds and if he is 50-50 maybe he starts and if he starts I um, expect Dublin to win Ashling, you disagree yeah, I do think it's going to come down to if Con starts or not, and I know you shouldn't really put it down to, to one player, but that's actually the way you talk about Dublin now, when we never, ever would have talked about Dublin that way. You know, one player does not make a team, I know that, but, you know, you would have always seen the impact of the bench and that would have made a big difference, but I don't look at Dublin that way anymore. And Con, when he came back, obviously we didn't see him for the league. He came back in championship and he was such a, a spark in that full forward line. And even the way he creates scores, yes, he, he, he scores a hell of a lot himself, but he creates scores, he creates the space. He does a hell of a lot for, for that forward line. And I think he was missed big time against Cork. So I think if they don't have him or they don't have him fully fit because it is a hairline fracture, we think, we're not sure, nobody knows. We're not going to know till a probably a few minutes before the game. But I think without him, it's probably a big task. But I do think it'll be a brilliant game. It's going to be close. Some of the matchups are going to be fascinating to see. Um, and if David Clifford as well is fully fit, we, we don't know, but it'd be great to see the boat with him out there um, from a neutral point of view. But I just think that the Kerry have right, some of the wrongs from last year. Like we used to talk about the, the defensive issues last year. We talked about it at the show the other night on that, you know, that was the thing with, with Kerry that these defensive issues and Paddy Tally's come in, we can see that they've tightened up at the back. And I just think that they 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 definitely have enough to get over Dublin this time. It has to be. It has to be now on. Well, wasn't this the 2006 World Cup where everybody became unbelievably aware of what your metatarsal was because of what Wayne Rooney was, was going through in the build-up to it? Everybody is an expert in hairline fractures this week, and that may not even be the thing that Conor Callaghan has. It may he may not even have a hairline fracture. It just seems to have been the buzzword this week. Uh, Tommy, I'm, I, I I obviously misremembered the football pod. I thought you'd actually tip Dublin on the football pod, but uh, you're going for no. Kerry. No, I'm going for Kerry, and just in terms of experts on hairline fractures. We have James O'Donoghue on the football pod who has had a number of hairline fractures over the years. And when I told James the news that was reported in the Star earlier the week, he said, where? And I went looking in the report and there was no information about where that hairline fracture was. Now, I've, I've heard saying, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say it because I haven't got a second source in it where it is. But James says, if it's in your arm, you can make it happen. If it's in your leg, you've no chance. Now, so- the fact that the Star reporting again this morning that it's 50-50, the same paper that reported that it was a hairline fracture. This would lead me to believe that Conor Callan isn't right, but Dublin are going to play him, that he is going to start. If he, that he is, as Ashton said, he is that important. So, Tommy, can I ask you a question? Like, So if a few weeks ago you know that you'll only get Con for maybe one game, are you mm. picking Cork, are you picking Kerry, or are you picking Derry slash Galway? You're probably picking Kerry, to be fair. Totally. I'd, I'd like 100%. 100%. You ba- if you're Dublin, 
that Dublin team that sure they don't have the same depth, the same strength and depth, but they still have four or five generational players. They still have seven or eight players of multiple Ireland med- more, 13 players of multiple Ireland medals. You're, you're going to back yourself against most teams. Kerry are the teams that are coming, but the only doubts about Kerry at the minute is that propensity to shoot themselves in the foot. It's to fall short against Cork. It's to get caught against Tyrone. And sure, there was varying reasons for all of those, but Kerry just haven't proven it yet. On paper, it looks like Kerry are stronger. It looks like they have more options on the bench. They absolutely have more options on the bench. And they're starting 15. In my eyes, the graph of it appears to be marginally stronger than Dublin. That's that's the way it looks, but they have to prove it. And, yeah. you know, the, as I said all week, um, this Sunday is where you prove it. Like This is where you prove you're good enough. This is like just such an unbelievably exciting prospect. It is... Uh, like it is the most important game in the careers so far of all of these carry players like with the exception of those who actually won the All-Ireland in 2014 it is the most important day of their sporting lives like this is these are the Normandy beaches approaching them right now as, as they look ahead to Sunday like this is huge like huge significance I don't think we've actually paid enough attention to what happens if Kerry lose on Sunday of course you're going to have the very Kerry focused backlash but also you've got Dublin back in an All-Ireland final favourites for an All-Ireland final I think whoever wins the semi-final will be favourites for the All-Ireland final and potentially back on the wagon when it comes to winning All-Irelands the conversations around how do you stop the dubs will come back up again and that is, that is the huge significance that, that this game has and probably an acute realisation that what Mayo did last year in beating Dublin wasn't killing the dubs it was just stopping them from doing seven in a row that was it the dubs could very well be back and win another few All-Irelands here it could be like Kilkenny in the mid-2010s that this thing in the tail could actually last for quite some time that, I, I think that the ripples from this weekend are going to be significant whichever way Sunday goes if they lose Owen and it will be fright, a frightening prospect from anyone from the kingdom but it's 13 years now since Kerry have beaten Dublin in a championship game and all, most of those games 11, 13, 16, 19 twice They've all been close. They've all been in the mix. They've all been in the melting pot. But Dublin kept getting over the line. None of us feel like this is the same Dublin that, you know, 17, 18, 19, they were at the peak during that five in a row, six in a row run. If Kerry can't get by Dublin, a wounded Dublin this week, there's a problem there that isn't football. Yeah, I agree. But it's a, it's a wounded Kerry as well, is the thing. Like, we, you know, obviously David Clifford, David Clifford limping around the last day, like five, ten minutes in, we were all going, well, he's going to, he has to come off now. And then suddenly he's still picking points, obviously. And look, they obviously have quality everywhere. Oh, but I do wonder about that point about like, well, you know, I see P well 74 here saying Kerry under most pressure this weekend and this group always crack with pressure. I don't know if that's exactly right, but we don't know. We don't know where they're at. Really, this Kerry team, like they haven't. This is the first proper test of Kerry this year. Yeah, and you just got to, it all depends on how much you read into how good they've been on paper and any sort of nuggets you've taken from the league, which isn't very much. So, yeah, there's a lot a lot to be figured out on Sunday for sure and a lot of uncertainty coming into this game on a number of fronts. Uh, the same really can't be said of, of Armagh against, um, or Derry against Galway on, uh, on Saturday tomorrow because we have heard a little bit more from these camps. We have seen Roy Gallagher come out and do a little bit of media in the build-up to the game and everybody with the exception of Tommy, is backing Derry. So, Tommy, wow. like this is this is like an anti-football pod movement. I was surprised listening to you guys this week saying that that Galway are, should be favourites. I think the bookies have Derry favourites, but I think you were making the point that Galway should be favourites. Um, I disagree. I think I think Derry Derry are rightly favourites for this game. But uh, Tommy, you think Galway are going to get over the line and back into an All Ireland for the first time in what twenty one years? Surprised it's four to one. I'm really surprised by that. I'm really surprised, surprised by that. Galway. Um, 
an easy call, actually. I do, uh, Galway is an easy call. It's, you know... How, is, man, Gal- how is Galway an easy call? Explain that. Because, because Derry, this Derry group are so young in their journey, right? And all this stuff about, well, they have to lose one to win one and all that sort of stuff. So it's they won the Ulster title. Outside of a team who... Look, at absolutely. And you and... Ashling have been uh, bigging them up most of the year. I'm sort of surprised that you've gone. I'm very surprised you've gone to Galway, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's easy to say that they're too early in the journey. Another couple of years down the line, and they'll be back here. And, you know, a Galway team who admittedly is at five or six from the 2018 semi-final that are still there. Um, you know, it's been a big turnaround there, but a Galway team have been at this stage, have a few players with it in, with it in that sort of muscle memory in the bank. Um, yeah, it's the easy call, Tommy. I thoroughly disagree. I think it is an utterly different Galway team that was there in 2018 actually very few of them have been there and actually Galway are very very early in their journey under Paul Joyce I just feel that once they got Sean Kelly back and they got through that epic against Armagh that brings a team together in a way that words can't define same with the Ulster title with Derry a couple of weeks ago I just think Derry were primed for Ulster we had Rory Gallagher in the football pod last November October and you could just feel it he was targeting Ulster he was waiting for Tyrone. Didn't look like it he had money in his sights. He even said it during the week. He hasn't really watched Galway this year. Now, I don't fully believe that, but I do believe how tunnel visioned he was during Ulster. 100%. Because you the, have to be. 100% you have to be, Ashton. You, be. you have but, to just focus on that in order to get out of that, to put up those big performances. You meet the big teams in yeah. Ulster. It's not like other provinces. So Totally agree. Yes. Yeah, so no, no, I totally agree. But I just, I just, that's why I feel like Derry were ready to go. And I doubted them in the All-Ireland quarter-final. I still backed them, but I felt like there would be questions asked of them. Clare didn't ask those questions, but I feel like most other counties would have asked questions of Derry in Crow Park. And I feel like Galway, who bet them in the league, not that we're going to read too much into that, Galway have too many threats. And that's that's what I think. Galway have too many threats. Derry will need to rack up. And I know they've hit 118 after extra time or 116 after extra time and 312 against Monaghan. I don't think Galway are going to concede the the same goals. I just don't think they are. No. Even though they have so many threats, can I just ask, if they have so many threats, right, having said all of that, they obviously have one uh, player of a generation, Marky Ford, if they get the mockers on Shane Walsh, is that not it? No. Robert Finnerty has shot the lights out because he's been number three in every game. He's been a number three go-away attacker. And last week against Armagh, it wasn't the A team that stood up, it was the B side. It was Matty Tierney, it was Killian McDade. And it was Finnerty who stood up. It wasn't Comer, Walsh and Conroy. I just feel like, like Derry are quality. They're a brilliant team. I love watching them this year. I'm just edging. I just, I'm just i surprised it's four I against think, one. I really am. I think, I, it's the, I think it's the easy call to go for the better Finch champions. No, it's well, like, I mean, possibly. But I, I think that you can cut as deep into that Derry attack as well and, and come up with, with big performers too. I think it's extremely tight. Just that thing about the last day, Tommy. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm getting spooked a little bit about Claire's no-show last Saturday. But like, is there? Are we sure that that is the sort of thing that brings the team on? Are we sure that like it, it's a positive experience for them, needing extra time and penalties, and the whole fallout from the brawl and having to go through the you know jump through the hoops to ensure that Sean Kelly did get off, even though it was a no-brainer that he would get off. Like, I'm not sure that all amounts to something that that we can speak to as a reason why Galway are going to win. Like Derry's build-up has been perfect. They had a cakewalk in an All Ireland quarter-final to settle the nerves. They played and. They won in Croke Park and they've got the sort of you know we are ultra champions ultra champions only off their back they've won their quarter final won it well I think they're in a perfect place if we're talking about positioning and, and the, being in the right mood for a semi-final I think Derry of all the four teams actually are in the the most uh, in, the, in the most special place if, if you want to use that phrase Derry are in unfamiliar territory though Derry are now favourites 
regardless of whether it's they were they were at the quarterfinal as well though. Uh, yeah, but like you could go out with your chest out that day, and they did, and actually and they will this they will this Saturday for sure. They'll go out with their chest out. But I, what I'm saying is that Galway have more punch, far more punch than Clare. Well, far more. Well, that's Chris McKay wrapped up. Chris McKay wrapped up Keenan Sexton. Derry didn't even put Brendan Rodgers on a Clare attacker. They didn't bother. They didn't bother. They put Derek, Brendan Rodgers in midfield. So, like, if Derry don't put Rodgers on a Comer, they're going to put him on McDade to try and stop one of Galway's threats from further out the pitch. My point is that Galway just have more punch going forward and Galway's defensive system. While Galway, there's a flakiness about Galway, 100%. You saw the goals that Armagh got late on. You saw how Roscommon were nine points down and they nearly caught them. Mayo nearly caught them. There's absolutely a flakiness about Galway, 100%. They're not perfect. But I just think they have too many threats across the pitch. And I called Derry against Tyrone months ago and I probably haven't backed him a huge amount since. You know, I thought there were good odds for the Ulster. I just am not backing them in this All-Ireland semi-final. Okay. Well, uh, there was unanimity on the football pod. If anybody from Galway is feeling a, a little bit unloved this morning, both James and Paddy and, of course, Tommy back Galway to win this game tomorrow afternoon. But uh, on the quick picks this morning, of course, the gurus here know better than uh, Paddy Andrews and James. Who's leading who the way? Who's, who's do we have a scoreboard? Um, I'm not sure we do. Uh, I don't. Oh, no, we do. Ashling's leading the way. And Adrian is bottom of the table. I'm not sure oh, if these okay. statistics are correct. They're, but, uh, they're absolutely not right. Yeah. I just sorry I didn't get in there, but I just I'd be afraid of how Derry frustrate teams. I think they'll get in Galway's head. They're just dogs when it comes to that. So I think if it gets into a fight, who's going to come out on top? I think Derry will frustrate teams. Think of the matchup as well. With think think of the Armagh and, fight. How could you have come up against a team who are more ready for a psychological fight? Armagh, who've been think, in three I brawls already. Would, would be ahead of Armagh in that aspect. Uh, no, I don't think so. Well, this year, I, I do. In terms of fighting? In terms of football, maybe, Derry, you're ahead of Armagh. No, but not in terms fight, of fighting. Not a, like, as in, like, uh, you know, like toughness out on the pitch, get into your head, mind games, that type of thing. I think Derry are ahead of the game of that. Rory Gallagher I, has it spread into them. <laughs> I think Galway have come through the most psychological, physical test they will have so far and it'll stand them. I have been impressed with Galway this year and how they're improving and improving. But, uh, yeah, I just think, uh, yeah, I think Derry can go the whole way. Said it earlier on in the year. Say it again. Okay. Ashling, Tommy, good stuff. Adrian, where are you off to today? Where, go on, Ash. You called it last year. Derry's going to be all Ireland. Adrian, where, where will you be watching the game from tomorrow? I need to get down to Sheridan's home and get myself sorted out. I'll make sure the morning and then uh, and take it from there. Like, I mean, I mean, the lie is up, Adrian. We know you're in France. Like uh, we're, uh, we're like uh, Sheridan, Sheridan. Oh, yeah. Do we, do we just stop asking questions about this now? Yes. Okay, well, enjoy it wherever you are in that, that mystically good-looking place, the, the sun peering out from uh, the curtain over your shoulder. Uh, good stuff. That's this week's Quick Picks. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. All right, it is 16 minutes past nine. You're very welcome back to OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio. OTB Gold from one o'clock is Ronnie Delaney. Three o'clock is a live Friday night racing. Four o'clock then is the Koi Gig Pod. Uh, Euro's obviously underway at the moment. And then OTB Gold from six o'clock is with Catherine Switzer. You can follow Off the Ball across all our social channels, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you can download the OTB Sports app for the latest and best in sports content. 
and analysis. Now, keep an eye out during the ad break for the next edition of Passing It On, where Offaly legend Dahi Regan sat down with his son Jack to talk all about their experiences in their respective sports. Here's Dahi Regan discussing his heroes and role models throughout the years. And this episode of Passing It On is brought to you by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Chris Martin. Oh, you're kidding me. September. Kyle Lafferty. Are you no! joking me? Is that right? I know. Is that right? Uh, anybody else? Like, that is one of the most stupid questions. <laughs> Darius Vassell? Seriously, you only need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, 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 welcome along to the shoutiest segment on Irish radio. It's the scintillating, it's the stupefying, it's the splendido crappy quiz. Every Friday we pit three of team off the ball up against each other in our no-holds-barred quizzes, sporting factoids at the end of the week. Allow me to welcome today's contestants. Our first contestant is here to prove that he is a serious newspaper scribe and has shown up to this quiz to prove his journalistic integrity and bolster his reputation. It is the RD destroyer Dan McDonnell. Listen, it's a pleasure to be here. It's my first time on the on this quiz. Yeah, how do you feel? Wow, wow. You, I hope put, you're better than your mate. You put me up against a pretty. You picked me up against like two of your more volatile candidates. Here. <laughs> it's like a live golf tournament here or something. Like you've got some of the you've got some of the heels out to try and sort of st- stimulate a response. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah. Is that, is that, I mean, Nathan's already getting involved. I've been introduced. That's how pumped up he is for this. Like choose tell. your live golf fighter, Nathan. Who are you if you had to be a live golfer? Oh, I'm Bryson. You're Bryson. Make you are you pumped up? I don't know who wins all the tournaments in Live Golf because that's Brandon, be, that's Brandon Grace, Brandon, Brandon Grace, and that, Charles Schwartz. That's who I'd be. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a South African Live Golfer <laughs> who wins every time he, he steps on the course. Yeah. Um, our second in a week volatile, volatile, four <laughs> times in a row champion, volatile. <laughs> Uh, our second contestant is a happy man this week. Uh, a happy man that almost got thrown in jail, but a happy man all the same. He will never be left within the two kilometre radius of Jordan Speed again, but that's journalism, baby. Give it up for the beast of Ballyhonest, Nathan Nate Dog Murphy. Hello, everybody. How many views does your video with Jordan Speed have now? I, I, I don't, don't keep count, but now that you ask. How many by Jordan Speed? Yeah, how many by Jordan Speed? Well, listen, I think I inspired Jordan to greatness yesterday uh, in Scotland. Quiet word. Yeah, it seems to have uh, done the trick for him. And our final contestant has burned his Tony Kelly pyjamas and started a Bring Back Davy thread on the Clare GEA forum. He's angrier than ever after last week's collapse. It's APM Angry Producer Mick. Hi, Owen. Welcome uh, back. Uh, the, look, the only person that's angry on this call is Nathan, who spent the entire week, and I'm not joking when I say this, the entire week whinging about the quiz two weeks ago. He won last week, which gave him even more emphasis to moan about the fact that he was so he was robbed two weeks ago so uh, I, I'm looking forward to legitimately putting him in his place this week also, thanks, I'm, you're, thanks you're freak- for bringing that back up Owen is freaking me out by being in the wrong seat for this quiz so I don't know where to be looking at so. and Johnny was on last week was he? he was he was correcting, well, your, that's, that's, correcting your grammar basically he, no he wasn't he well, was, that's about he all he, he was correcting the grammar <laughs> but he, he wasn't yeah. like he was wrong okay I, mean, I don't want to bring Patrick it up Trump. again that's where Johnny belongs yeah I just listen I'm, I'm going to sort of have some kind of higher ground here yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to get involved in the, the culture of the crappy quiz it just uh, appears damn. to be shouting and, you won't be asked back Dan but I'm also like very competitive so I'm trying to keep a lid on that Like, and I'm going to pretend to be relaxed if I lose your That's only job it's now just, here just uh, I'm just a bit concerned just from the outset because anytime anyone makes their debut on the crappy quiz Owen win. gives them soft questions unbelievable like, like Owen is going to ask you 
to name which team won the League of Ireland last year. That's what we're coming <laughs> with now in the next few minutes. So, that's not, I'm a bit get, concerned. Get your excuses in early. Your only job is to make this not an entirely joyless experience and then it will be an improvement on last week so if you can just keep that in mind that it's is joyless from Johnny yeah. joyless Johnny beyond, beyond not joyless. necessarily his calling card either but anyway oh, exactly yeah. uh, the format is the classic crappy quiz this morning with a series of questions and a range of themes then uh, we finish up with the slip and slide of trivia which is a rapid fire round you can podcast this quiz on otbsports.com or on the OTB Sports app and if you're watching on YouTube we'd love if you gave us a thumbs up even if we contribute nothing but misery to your day you can send any questions you have via postcard to crappy quiz Quizmaster off the ball towers Marconi House dig Lane, Dublin 2. Round 1, the boring questions round, never multiple choice. Dan, your soft question supposedly. Can you list off the League of Ireland Premier Division in order from the team that is currently top of the table to the team that is currently <laughs> bottom of the table? Ah, <laughs> that is not soft. <laughs> that, that's not that, that soft. soft. So that is not soft, Dan. That so Shamrock Rovers are top. the League of Ireland. Shamrock Rovers are top. Dundalk are second. Dundalk are second, yeah. Derry City are third. Yeah. St. Pat's are fourth. Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to think Bowes won last night, so I'm trying to think. No, I think Sligo Rovers are fifth. Yeah. Bowes are sixth. Yeah. Shells are seventh. Yeah. Draw are eighth. Yeah. Finn Harps are ninth. Yeah. And used to the year tenth. What an answer. This yeah. guy well, just tearing up. I'd have got that. The crappy quiz. No, absolutely. He he gave ten Come correct on. answers, Nathan. This guy. I'd have got that. And I had the same fear about Bowes as you did. Been, yeah. yeah. We finally. He is the Maradona. Nathan's still talking in the back. Not a bad. It's a boring question, round, Nathan. Come on. Yeah. Nathan, who are reigning champions of the women's Euros? Who's laughing in the background? <laughs> you can hear Andy laughing through the glass. That was production, to be clear. The sound, There's no one here. The, sound, the soundproofing is not exactly exceptional. Uh, I'm going to go for the Netherlands. Correct. Well done. Mick, who did... Galway beat in the semi-final the last time they made an All-Ireland football final the last time they made a football final was 2001 and they beat oh I'll tell you the other semi-final that year that's not good to you though is it famously um Mead Hammer Kerry just in case you're wondering uh No. It was Derry. Derry in 01 as well? Yeah. And 98? And 98. Oh, God, okay. Well, I genuinely didn't know that. So there you go. Round two is uh, the reeling of the years round. In this round, I give you all a year, and all you got to do is name the winners and runners-up of three sporting competitions from that year. Dan, you're first up. Your year is 2019. Can you name the winners and runners-up of the Open, the Winners' World Cup, and the Coppa America? Oh, the, the the British Open? Yeah. Oh, 2019. Oh. Don't play that music thing. It's just like... I'm sure it's coming back on soon. When Emma um, gets bored, she just hits it. Oh, sorry, yeah. it's Jojo hitting it. Sorry. I like it now, yeah. yeah. It just adds a little more of ambiance to my struggle. He is having none of your shite this morning. 2019. Oh, it's the last one before COVID. I'm going to be annoyed at not remembering this. Can you tell me where the course was? I absolutely no. cannot. No. <laughs> okay. Okay, Nathan. Oh, that's, that's a yeah. very early buzzer. I'm gone for on three, gone. three oh, answers. You let let him suffer. The open, let him the, suffer. The, I'm just. I'm obsessed on the uh, the Open in 2019. It was the Women's World Cup was the USA? Was it? Yeah. Okay, so that's one point. Did they? Well, the buzzer went technically. So. Yeah. I mean, I listen. I, I, listen. No, 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 you changed your tune now, Mick. <laughs> I was thinking of the Open. Oh, the Women's World Cup in Copa America. 
was but who la- who was runner up in the Women's World Cup? Oh, was it Japan? No, it wasn't. It was no. Netherlands. Netherlands. Okay. okay. The Open, by the way, just to give you the answer. Wasn't Mickelson's year? Was it? No, it was Lowry's year. Oh no! In second, Tommy. Fle- I would have. Oh, yeah. See if you give me the venue. Was that really 2019? Yeah. Oh, and you the- see, I think these are the more difficult ones. The, anything around the COVID sort of years is very hard to remember. Yeah. Oh, well. Differentiating yeah. then. Yep, the past it would have been one. Brazil, was it? Yeah, because they beat in the final. Uh, That's hard because there's a Copa America like every six months around this era. Wasn't yeah. it Chile in that one? Was it? No, no. it was Peru. Yeah, so okay. you come out of that with two points. You're on three points in total. Nathan, your year. Sorry, how did he get two points? How did he get? Because he got Brazil and USA. Two- Ooh, there's I six points. There's six. Go, six, six okay. relaxed there. So Nathan, you're just looking there. for three I points thought. out of this or six. No, no, sorry, I tossed. No, no, Nathan only wants to go for three, so let's go (laughs) for Nathan's three. All right, okay. Okay, no, 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 it's fine. It's me now, is it? Nathan, your year is 2018. Can you name the winners and runners-up of Wimbledon men's singles, the World Cup third-place playoff, (laughs) and the Tour de France? In some ways, that's actually easy. Yeah, it actually is. Nathan, no, it's easy questions. And runners-up. Tour de France, like... So... (laughs) And let me see here. Cup France against Croatia. Proper July special for there. The World Cup one is pretty handy, to be honest. Mm. Wimbledon. Sorry, Wimbledon men's or women's? Men's. Can we get some answers at least? Just you know, tip this uh, thing off. Winner Djokovic. Yeah. Who did he beat in final? Federer. No, it was Kevin Anderson. World Cup third place playoff. Uh, England were beaten. Yeah. By, I don't think it's the right answer, but I have in my head Germany. No, it was Belgium. Belgium. Ah, yes. And then Tour de France. Uh, winner, Chris Froome. No, second. Chris Froome. Uh, <laughs> Pogacar. No, it wasn't. It was uh, Grant Thomas's year, and Tom Dumoulin was second. Mick, Holy hell. you got an opportunity. Like it's a hard round. Like it. it's, open for Mick. it's Dan three, Nathan three, Mick nil. Your year is 2017, Mick. Can you name the winners and runners up of the NBA championship, the Six Nations, and the EFL championship? Oof. Like the okay, the championship. Okay, the championship. 2017. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Um. I can't say I immediately know any of them. Uh, the Six Nations in 2017 was won by England. Yeah, who came second? Wales? No, it was Ireland. Okay. The NBA was... Oh, I'm just trying to get the years. Was it the Cavs? It was not. Shit. Who lost the finals? <laughs> Was it the Cavs? It was the Cavs. <laughs> Warriors won it? Warriors won. Damn it. Um, and the championship, 17-17, that was the year after Villa got relegated. So it would have been our first year in there, which was won by definitely not Aston Villa. Norwich? No. Safe enough bet you would have thought, but no. Yeah, in fairness, I actually all my logic just led me to my <laughs> just be guessing. Norwich. Norwich. <laughs> uh, Game second. Fulham. 
No, it was Newcastle and Brighton. Top two oh. of 2017. Uh, you got two points there. So who the hell remembers who won the championship? I actually thought maybe that Wolves. That was very tough. Wolves was the next year, was it, I think? It must have been, yeah. Yeah, I would have been going for Wolves there, definitely. Round three is the Pass the Parcel of Doom round. In this round, all you got to do is give me a name that's on a list of names, and then the Parcel of Doom passes on to the next contestant, who then also has to give me a name from the list. We will keep moving until one of you gives me an incorrect answer or fails to give me a name, at which point you will be eliminated. The last player standing gets a point. So, Dan, you're going to kick us off in the first list here can you name a winner of the Wimbledon women's singles this century this century mm-hmm. um, Ash Barty correct it goes to Nathan next Serena Williams yeah um, Halep yeah uh, Petra KVITOVA I'll accept Petra Kvitova yeah just because you're a print journalist yeah got the spelling spot on Kvitova yeah you see I mean there's it's a bit of practice. Venus Williams. Venus Williams is correct. Nick. Um. Uh, Lindsay Davenport. Correct. Oh, that's a good one. Century. Hingis? No? Gene Hingis? Sorry, actually, the question is can you name a finalist of the women's singles? That oh. Been? Sorry. But it, that, that, I wrote that I because the list was too short of just winners. The list is actually. I think Serena's probably won eight of them, has she? Yeah, so. yeah, sorry. And Lindsay Davenport actually hasn't won one, so that's what kind of triggered it there. So okay. finalists, finalists. <laughs> You're all being correct so far. She won in 90. Yeah. Well, I, I said Martina Hingis, but I sort of was thinking of. Winners, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Was she in the final? No, no. she wasn't. She's so gone by then. You're, you're gone. Hingis That's, is not. Yeah, she was uh, like 18 or 19 by the time the yeah, came yeah. she was finished. Uh, um, it's uh, Nathan next. <laughs> Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Amelie Moresmo. Correct. Oh, that's so shit. Uh, Justine Ennan. Justine Ennan is correct. Kim Cloisters. No. Yes. What? Yes. No. Kim Clijsters didn't make it to Wimbledon final. Ah, Kim. Um, so yeah, Mick, you got the point there. You're on three. Thank we, you. Uh, we have a tie game. Earned it. This is this is. I like this next one now. Nathan, can you name a team that plays in the Danske Bank Premiership, the Northern Ireland League, if you will? Glentoran. Uh, Glentoran is correct. This is, this is like a real Dan Mathonald question. Mick, you're next up. Linfield. Linfield is correct. We were actually just talking about some of these teams earlier on. Crusaders. Crusaders. We were just having a conversation around Crusaders. Uh, Nathan? Ported down. Correct. Uh, IFL knowledge here. Cliftonville. Cliftonville is correct. How many teams are there? 12. Is this last year's or this year's? This year's. The, the one coming? Uh, yeah. Oh, God. Larn. 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 Larn is correct. Okay. No, the one, that, the one that's like concluded... The one that's concluded. Oh, concluded, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the 21-22 season. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Uh, Nathan. Mick. Nathan. No, Nathan. Nathan, yeah. <laughs> you just said learn. Uh, we said Crusader, did we, yeah? Yeah. We'll stop with the music. <laughs> it's incredibly awful. Pump it up. <laughs> it's like the Benny Hill uh, music outside uh, yeah. number 10 yesterday. <laughs> just, just ramp it up there. Um... Dungannon Dungannon Swifts indeed how could anybody forget them Mick uh, <laughs> sure like Dan's going to get the point here anyway but uh, I'm, I'm sure. trying to keep I'm it going so, I'm struggling here at a particular point 
Um, Glen Avon. Glen Avon is a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. If it's last year, Warren Point. Warren Point is correct. Yes. Yeah. Well done. Confirmed. It is last year's list. Yeah. Uh, Nathan. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, One, nine, nine. So there's three left. Three left. Am I imagining this? Are Ards? That's what I was gonna say. No, Ards aren't in this. No. Okay. Nick. This is thrown it out there, but Newtonards. Not Newtonards, no. <laughs> <laughs> there were two remaining teams, so you know any of them then? Oh, this is, it doesn't matter, I don't it doesn't need matter, to Doesn't matter, you have the point. Uh, no, I, I don't. You've uh, taken the lead, actually, Dan. Are Ballon and Mallard in it this year? They weren't in the Premier, no, they were relegated. Uh, Ballymena United, Carrick Rangers, and Coleraine were the Coleraine! Coleraine. Okay. Yeah. Make your kicking us off this one. Can you name a course that has hosted the Open? Uh, should we go with St. Andrews? Yeah. Sandwich. What's the name of the course? Sandwich is the name of the town. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I've gone for... Can I go for a different one then? Too? You can, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go for Troon. Troon, yeah. Don't know if me or Nathan would have got away with that, but we'll move on. Portrush. Portrush. I uh, see how you're all leaving out the royal part of uh, these. Mm. Uh, Mick? Uh, royal St. George's. Yeah. Carnoustie. Which is Sandwich. Carnoustie. Oh, so, uh, that would have been my guess, but anyway. Nathan? Uh, Turnberry? Yeah. Um, Muirfield. Yeah. High Lake. High Lake is also the name of the town. Oh, is it? Oh, that is more known as High Lake, though, isn't it? Yeah, I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need the name. I'm gonna need the name of the course. The High Lake course. Yeah, I'm going to need the name of the course, unfortunately. Nah, I'm gone. I can't think about it. Nathan? Oh, could Mick pick up the point on a golf Royal Liverpool. Royal Liverpool is the one you were thinking of. Oh, is that High Lake, is yeah. it? Mick? Um, St. Anne's and Lytham? Oh, oh yes, yes, yeah, I'll accept that. It's Roy Litham and St. Anne's, but yeah, I'll Oh, thank you. That's what I was about to go for. Like, it is both of them. Yeah, to be fair. Nathan, there are five left. In fairness, like, three of these haven't hosted an open in, like, a century. Presswick. Presswick, indeed. I think there's only, like, one more left that's on the current road, Mick. Can you get it? Because I don't think anybody's going to get the other three. <coughs> it's unlikely. So they'll give me ten seconds. Nine. Nothing else is coming to me. Sorry. You're done. Yeah. Uh, Royal Birkdale was oh, one that you were missing. Oh. And then the Hamilton win in Birkdale. The no, no, I don't no. think so. Oh, wait, no, that was no. a couple of years ago. Um, Musselburgh Links, Prince's Golf Club, and Royal Sank Port Golf Club were the oh, other that's ones. That's I was thinking of. That's yeah. right beside Royal St. Um, George, I think. So it's uh, Dan 4, Nathan 4, Mick 3 as we enter round 4, the fun free magic number round. Contestants get 3 points for getting the number exactly right. If no one manages that, the contestant who doesn't go bust gets 2 points. The second closest gets 1 point. I'm going to say that we can only accept the answer that's written on your paper, and I'm also going to ask for your pens once the music ends. So if you don't mind, give us the following number. The number of All-Irelands Brian Cody has won as a player. The number plus the number of majors won by Phil Mickelson. Plus the number of championship games Brian Fenton has lost 
in total as a Dublin senior footballer plus the number of Grand Slam singles semi-finals Nick Kyrgios has played in your 30 seconds expire when Sinatra sings bright shiny beads now are we counting this year as a single semi-final well he didn't yeah. play in it but that's what I mean he hasn't played in any semi-final I'm trying to get a hint at the, the answer there Nathan oh, we're wasting all our time here Sorry, I don't remember the first question or not? the question is the number of Grand Slam single semi-finals Nick Kyrgios has played in if Nick Kyrgios has played in a semi-final you count it if he has not played in a semi-final you do not count what's it what's the first two I, questions I, I just don't understand Brian how there's confusion player. Brian Cody's as a player ah here he thing waffled is all the way through the whole thing now, what have you got I've got nine nine Nathan ten ten Mick eleven the answer is ten <laughs> this is the worst quiz ever <laughs> This is without, without the hardest quiz ever, by the way. Brian Cody has won three All-Irelands as a player. Yes. Phil right. Mickelson has won six majors. Ah, yes. Brian Fenton has lost once as a yeah. footballer yes. in a championship. And Nick Kyrgios has never played in a semi-final. And he won't this week either, Nathan. See? Because Nadal pulled out. Therefore, the I semi-final didn't happen. Therefore, Nick Kyrgios didn't actually play see, in the semi-final. How many can I just say one no, thing? Listen, right? listen. This filibustering by Nathan, absolute nonsense, right? I, the only one I couldn't, I didn't have time to think about how many. I would have been able to count Cody's All Irelands, but because there was no time to even think about, I actually had to spit out four. You don't know how many All Irelands. The rest of them I knew. The greatest GA figure. The rest of them I knew. I was one over because I guessed four because I literally couldn't even go through the years in my head because you wouldn't shut up for thirty seconds. Unbelievable. That is basic, basic knowledge. Though I would say, and, basic uh, even knowledge. Though I have, even though I have taken the points here and I'm now in a commanding position. Uh, trick questions have no place in the crappy quiz. How is it a trick question? He didn't play in a semi final. It's a trick question. Yeah, but he's in the final. He was in a quarter final. Now he's in a final. Did he play Therefore, in the semi final? Sure, the semi finals are only today. Even if it was on, he still won the play. He won. He won the semi final. Didn't play in it. The question you know, was about how many semi-finals you know, has played in. He didn't play in the semi-final. And the also, it, w- it would have been in the future. The would-be fixture isn't now. It, it was this afternoon. We're on to the final. I'm I'm it's not going to be decided. So what am I on now? Seven. Seven. You're not really getting after each other here. You're under pressure here. Bring in Arthur and Phil back next week. The score you get in this round will be added to your score. In the previous round, there will be 40 seconds for everyone to answer from the same set of questions. We'll start with Nathan, then on to Dan, then on to Mick. Once you get a question correct... you don't want to do one of your imaginary coin tosses. I keep asking you another question until you get one wrong once you get a question wrong and move on to the next person and you're incorrect the answer arrogance, means the, the arrogance point. you've all the humility of Boris Johnson standing outside no but what, what I'm laughing at is the only thing I can see from my camera is Mick I'm staring straight at you now Mick <laughs> staring straight at you <laughs> he, hasn't, he hasn't been that happy he since Jordan's feet he, he doesn't think he's on camera but I can see his disgust which is uh, over I know I'm on camera what are you talking <laughs> about Murphy are you ready Oh yes! Your forty seconds starts now. Who were Super Bowl champions? Oh, he might not notice. Uh, Tampa Bay. No, uh, Los Angeles Rams. Dan, what club has Daryl Lenahan signed for? Middlesbrough. Correct. Which player won this week's JP McManus Pro Am? Xander Shuffler. Correct. Name the England women's football manager. Oh no, it's not Emma Hayes. Serena Peekman. Who is the new PSG manager, Mick? Uh, uh, Galtier. Correct. Who is the new Cork hurling manager? Pat Ryan Correct Eden Park is in what city? Auckland Correct What was the last European captain to win the Ryder Cup? Uh, uh, Too long uh, Thomas Bjorn The Red Bull Ring is an F1 track based in what country Nathan? Austria Correct What club has Danny Mandroyu signed for? No Lincoln No Was that? I th- Nathan ever won already? went back to 6 Then he got to 7 Then he went to 8 Dan got to 5 
and oh, then Nick off. didn't get enough. So Nathan, I got three oh, again is the winner. You had the chance, Nick. I thought, no, I, thought I did you have the chance. Nick. I had the chance. I had the chance. I didn't I think I was going to get it, but oh, your your winning streak is over. Back in your box. What's it like to be able to give an uninterrupted victory speech, there, Nathan? I wouldn't know. Normally, have you well, shouting you at have, me at this stage? You haven't shut up. You haven't shut up so far. I have actually. Why are you just going to let this off just sit here? It's, it's a little bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah. Dan, I enjoyed Dan's contributions. I thought Dan was a, a worthy competitor. I think we should have him back. That was nice and patronizing. That, that, that's nicely patronizing. It's like I feel as patronized as you were by Jordan's speech, but I'm not going yeah. to take it as <laughs> willingly as you did. Do you know, Dan, when you got Xander Showplay, I thought it was yours. Yeah. I didn't think there was any way back from that. I was good just, answer. Uh, no, oh, there was a few. England screwed you over again. It happened like three days ago. Yeah. Congratulations uh, Thanks so. Have a good weekend It is 9.45 That is this week's Crappy Quiz Chris Martin Oh you're kidding me September Kyle Lafferty Are you no! joking me? Is that right? I know Is that right? Uh, anybody else? Like that is one of the most Stupid questions Darius Vassell Seriously You all need to just stay quiet This is getting really annoying Doing this quiz What is going on here? <laughs> OTB AM With Gillette Get into your flow With the new Gillette Labs Razor With exfoliating bar